0: Does have it all. All of our pre owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128 point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties a two year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty, and a 30 day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com.
1: Hey there, how are you? It's a Tuesday. Here in the company, my name is Jake Query, and our CEO of the company is Eddie Garrison. Proudly wearing his University of Indianapolis sweatshirt. The company president is Jimmy Cook, who today is wearing, is this just a bland, not bland, but a, a logoless long sleeve t shirt there, Jimmy? It's a uh, PGA Tour long sleeve. PGA Tour long sleeve shirt. Fair enough. Um, those of you who are watching on the YouTube chat, and my apologies, we have uh, – neglected is the wrong word, but I have failed to mention those that are in the break room of the company the last few days. But we thank you for tuning in and listening. A lot to talk about today on this Tuesday. Major League Baseball Championship Series underway. Watched some of that last night. Uh, obviously, Monday Night Football, man, I'll tell you what. Nobody cares about your fantasy team, okay? <laughs> However, I will say, even though nobody cares about my fantasy team, I needed 18.9 points from Justin Herbert last night, and he delivered 19.08. So I beat some poor schmuck by .18 points.
2: People enjoy bad beats, misery, and the times you avoid it. And that was one of those scenarios where Justin Herbert throws a pick late, and I had forgotten about you saying the amount of points you needed from Herbert, and you sent us how close your box score was. I mean, that's about as close as it gets, (laughs) right? i to outscore my
3: opponent by, uh, I think it was 40 with Herbert, Keenan Allen, and C.D. Lamb. And he had Austin Eckler, so I won by 10. So I didn't have the the narrow...
0: You
1: had some cushion
0: there.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, the one thing about fantasy football that's funny, when it first came about, and obviously they have tweaked this since to a great extent... But I remember the very first year that I really did fantasy football, and it was this was like in dial up modem internet day. Well, when you hear the player I'm about to mention, that'll tell you how long ago it was. Um, I played in the only time I've ever played in a league that was a buy in league. So I do not play in a league for money. Um, But I was in one time I was, and I had Terrell Davis. Who was the guy to have that year because he was just a scoring machine for the Denver Broncos? And I needed in our Super Bowl, which was week 16, I was in the Super Bowl and I needed like, you know, what, four points from Terrell Davis. And he literally had, like, in the first quarter, had 36, 36 or 38 yards. And they arrested him. They took him out because Mm. they had secured, they were the number one seed, and they took him out. And and so that became, with fantasy football, a big thing became you had to somewhat stack your roster with guys that were on mediocre teams that were still going to be right. playing in week 16, 17. They've you know kind of altered that now in terms of the playoffs. But uh, anyway, good afternoon to all of you here on a Tuesday. Big topic of conversation. I mentioned the Major League Baseball playoffs. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, more so just on what is the worst possible matchup.
2: Nobody took Eddie's advice yesterday, by the way. Or at least the uh, pitching staff of the Diamondbacks did not take Eddie's advice.
1: What was his advice? Well, they didn't
2: pitch around Bryce Harper. Oh, yeah. It was his birthday yesterday. Eddie pointed that out on the show. Bryce Harper went yard.
1: Phillies win. How about when Bryce Harper went yard, came across the plate and the announcer said, oh, and look at that, he's he's so hot because he's hit his fourth home run. And the other guy said, no, he's blowing out 31 candles because it's his 31st birthday. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, And then you have Kyle Schwarber who hit a home run. Kyle Schwarber is the Adam Dunn of today. He either hits a monster home run or he embarrassingly strikes out. Um, Last night, Monday Night Footballs. we talked about, you know, the Chargers and the Cowboys. Did you guys watch much of that? I did. I watched a fair amount. Kind of breezed past a little bit. Did you watch any of the Pacers? Eddie, you were in here working the Pacers, right? Yes. I watched the second half of that game.
3: Which game? (laughs) (laughs) The football game. I was obviously in connection with the entirety of the Pacer game last Mm -hmm. night. Um, Pacers last night, listen...
1: I don't make a lot of preseason just because you never really know. I mean, I I think they're trying 100 different combinations to see what works and see how some guys react with others on the roster. So you can't read too much into it. However, if you were looking for positives, and I'm not saying this is going to carry over for the time being into the regular season, but at least eventually there's going to be a point this year where Ben Shepard becomes an important player in the rotation. And he looks like a guy that can play. You know, is he going to be a starter? Probably not. I think he's going to be – I think Ben Shepard is going to be very similar to Andrew Nembhard, a guy that just seems competent beyond where you thought he would be at the time of acquisition. And when his number is called, you kind of know what you're getting and he's not going to let you down. And, you're, you know, you're, you're not having a liability when he is on the floor. Walker, on the other hand, I think, you know, again – they're still trying to figure out what combinations guys are going to play with. And I think you know what you have there in, in Jace Walker, but I think Ben Shepard at this point has been a pleasant surprise in terms of the Pacers. But the big story, let's get right to it. And and with this story, we are actually bringing a, a new device onto the program. This is and I, You finally went to the Apple store? Well, no, let me tell you what I did, Jimmy. Thank you for asking. I, yesterday, I got a – does anybody know what – there's so this is like I don't know if this is like an Amazon knockoff. I got an email yesterday from FedEx and I checked it and this is a legitimate email. You know how sometimes you get these emails that'll say like delivery package. And you're like, "Really?" from Fed, and then you click on it and the, the 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 way to do this is when you get an email, check the sender correct yes you check the sender and it's got like you know 75 letters yeah. Characters. yeah okay this is fake <laughs> this is legitimately from fedex hi Jake Query. your package from BDA is out for delivery today you guys know what BDA is Mm-mm. I have no idea so I looked up BDA, and it's like some—it's like an Amazon type warehouse. It's just like you know your your connection to hundreds of products. And I'm like, I, I, I've not ordered anything.
2: So you, that's going to ask you—you you don't need to get into specifics, but have you ordered anything? No, in the last I'm not week really. I,
1: I'm not really like the the order online guy, just because I, I like going into a store. Sure. Um, but I will occasionally use Amazon for you know for a book or for uh, AirPods or something like that, right? I, I, I have not ordered anything I have no idea what this could be Right But One thing that I did order And this was it, This was exciting stuff Okay And um, They it, At first they told me It was going to be somebody from England But I think it's a, But But they I had the option of a A man or woman version I went with the woman And I'll tell you why Women are honest Like women are Men, men can be shady whatever. Like women Usually pretty up front They'll tell you exactly What they think Right so, I, I found, and this was not easy to find. It was not easy to find. And the cost, I, I'm sure, was just outrageous, especially because the, of the, the international shipping, because you can't get this kind of thing in the United yeah. States. Yeah. This is a wonderful new product that has come out that I found, and it took a long time to get here. It finally arrived. It is a human interpreter. Ooh. Yeah and i don't mean like a like an interpreter like you know you're going to be like i'm going to be in Holland in two weeks and I need like, you know, Google Translate. No, 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 not that. This is an interpreter of an actual thought. It cuts so through other the weeds. Words, correct. This is a BS interpreter. Okay. So when somebody is talking, you then run you run it through my interpreter and then it tells you exactly what the person really is saying. Mm, okay. Okay? So the Colts yesterday, Stephen Holder, who's gonna join the program at two o'clock today, uh, Stephen Holder got a phone call from Jim Irsay or placed a phone call to Jim Irsay in which Jim Irsay answered and had a phone conversation where Jim Irsay said that uh, Anthony Richardson is probably done. They're probably going to shut him down. Now, what we know is this, for those that are just coming back from the rock they've been living under. Anthony Richardson, the promising rookie quarterback out of Florida, who only started 13 games for the Gators, was drafted by the Colts is an extremely durable – well, durable maybe is questionable – but versatile quarterback. He can run the football. He's big. He's got a strong arm. And there were a lot of things about his athleticism that intrigued the Colts to the point where when they had to choose between Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, they went with Richardson. Or make the choice between trading up, perhaps, to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, or waiting where they are knowing they could get Anthony Richardson. And they went for the latter. Anthony Richardson was the guy, I think, from the get-go that they wanted because of his combination of size, foot speed, and arm strength. But the one question mark about him was that he possibly would put himself through his playing style in position to get hurt. He has suffered a few different injuries so far as a Colt, including the latest, which was a sprain in his throwing shoulder. That sprain, while... It has not gone to the level of the... If you remember with Andrew Luck, there was what was called subluxation, which was basically a compromise of the netting, if you will, of the shoulder joint, the ball of the shoulder joint, the ball and joint. The, the, The basket that keeps it in place became compromised. And that led to Andrew Luck missing time and Matt Hasselbeck playing and whatever else. So with this particular situation... There are two ways that the colts can allow it to mend. The first would be to let nature take its course. You just wait and you let the, the, the sprain repair itself naturally. And in doing so, perhaps you compromise the, the possibility that, or, or you increase the possibility it could happen again. Who knows? The second option would be to, to have a surgery done. Now what that surgery actually is doing, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. But medically speaking, those who do do those things seem to think that a surgery more greatly increases the odds that this would not happen again. So it creates a greater shield or prevention for this area of the body moving forward. So the Colts are exploring that and getting as many different evaluations as possible. But by Jim Irsay, and we'll talk to Stephen Holder about what exactly Ursay's wording was, but when Jim Ursay said that it is a strong possibility that Anthony Richardson could not return this season, I thought to myself, that sounds to me like Jim Ursay is basically saying he is. we are uh, under the assumption he is not going to return this season. Now... That comes from my standpoint in years of just covering sports. That's not to say that that's what Jim Mersey said. That is strictly my interpretation or assumption of it.
2: If you get that high up in the ownership hierarchy and they're talking to the press saying that a star player is likely to miss time or likely to miss a determined amount of time, in this case, a whole season, yeah, I start to believe that.
1: Right. That that It's essentially like, hey, I want to throw this out there to start yeah. to brace people, Right. right? But I wanted to make sure that my assumption was not off base. So I bought, and I'm excited about this, this is the English Elixir. That's what it's called. The English Elixir was very expensive. This is a prototype. It was not inexpensive. Not inexpensive, right? So, you know, I'm going to be paying for this for a long time, so I hope this job lasts.
2: <laughs> it's why we have five finance directors was that, for this that's purchase. That's correct.
1: Well, the, and believe me, they would not have cleared signed off on this because it may not have been the best purchase. But the English Elixir is a wonderful new toy that, that we play a soundbite, okay? Then we run it through the Elixir, and then it tells us what the person really was saying. And, again, I bought the female version because females way more intuitive, way more intuitive. Men get too involved if they want to hear what they want to hear, right? So, like, a guy is like – you say to a guy that has, you know, whoever on their fantasy team, like, look, this guy yesterday, they just found out that, you know, he's he has a broken leg. And th- what the guy hears is he still has one good leg. Start him on your fantasy Naturally. Team. Guys don't th- – guys have no intuition. Women, solid intuition, right? So – Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to play a bite from Shane Steichen. A bite is a sports word, a sound, a, a clip. We're going to play a, a clip from S- Shane Steichen talking about Anthony Richardson. Then when we come back, when I tell Eddie, we're going to send it through the English elixir. It's going to decipher the words and then tell us exactly what Shane Steichen was saying. Okay, so here is Shane Steichen talking about Anthony Richardson's status now, his health and his status moving forward. It is a priority. Obviously, we want to do what's best for him uh, in this organization um, you
2: know, moving forward, and uh, like I said, we'll, we'll make the decision uh, when the time's right, and when we're still evaluating that process.
1: Okay, the priority would be Anthony Richardson's long-term health versus immediate satisfaction of getting him on the field. Now, do we have the English elixir? Go ahead and fire this up. The, the, the elixir has heard the soundbite. Here, here we go. Fire it up. Okay, we'll wait for it to complete here. Okay. Okay, good. Now, so that means now that we have the elixir, let me go ahead and hit send, and that means that it's going to tell us, the female English elixir is going to tell us what he was actually saying.
3: The Colts have been through this crap before. Subluxations, nerve regeneration, private workouts, snowboarding. Seen it all. Screw it. He's probably done. Bring on Uncle
1: Rico. There we go. Okay, so there we go. that's, That's all we need to know. The Elixir knows best. Sounds like Anthony Richardson's probably out, right? I mean, I don't
2: know if you had an opportunity to get in on the ground floor on the English Elixir prototype. like if you, it's prototype. If yep. you have like stock option in this, but it would change so much in the world of coach speak. I mean, you're just you're, you're opening up a whole new area for analysis. Oh, with
1: this product. It, totally. And like I said, you had to go with the female option because women are more right. enthru- like you can't BS a woman, right? Correct. So the elixir, it can't be BS, right? Correct. I would think so.
2: Based on their branding model, which is good to know that the owner and the head coach are on the same page, even though that we needed a translator to find that out.
1: That's right. Colts has seen it all before, man. But it does feel that. And look, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because, not because I, I don't think anybody was under the illusion that the Colts were going to go to the Super Bowl this year with Anthony Richardson, but it certainly felt like they were going in the right direction. But we have seen in this town, there is there is a PTSD that comes in this town going way back, way back, of players with promise that Mother Nature stood in the way. You know, Steve Itman, Steve Etman was, you know, here's the guy that they 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 are making posters of him, and look at how huge his his pecs are, and he's, you know, they're making. You can go into Spencer Gifts and buy yourself a Steve Etman poster of him, like bench bench pressing a Tonka truck with Zoop, right? He was a beast, and was probably the top defensive prospect in five years. And the Colts needed defensive help, and so they went with Entman and Coriotte, one and two. They had the one and two picks in the 92 draft. And guess what? Just couldn't stay healthy. Might have been a good player, couldn't stay healthy. And eventually they had to cut bait and just move along, right? Kind of the same with Coryat, but Coryat more was like looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane, right? Like just the guy was a beast in college, had one big hit that was massive kind of a different story but a good player but they ended up you know he ended up signing signing elsewhere i think he went to jacksonville from here um but other guys i mean obviously andrew luck it goes without saying players that that you draft them and luck is the big one here obviously and you just don't know in luck's case and i don't need to go down that rabbit hole of like you know he quit on his team yeah whatever right the bottom line is what you learned from andrew luck and every player's different. Every player's different. But there's a saying in racing. I can't tell you Jimmy how many times I've been doing the race in the Indy 500 or whatever else and somebody comes over the intercom and they go, "You know, we haven't had a caution flag yet." And all of us to a man go uh, and woman uh, go, "Oh my gosh, who said it?" Who said it? And then literally two laps later there's a caution flag. Now, as soon as that happens, Davey Hamilton says the same thing every time in our ear. Cautions breed cautions, guys. Look out, because cautions breed cautions. And then we have three cautions in the next 15 laps. The same rules
2: apply to high school JV games. You can't say overtime during a high school JV game, because you speak it into existence, and right. all of a sudden you're going overtime in the varsity game. And then overtimes
1: be- breed overtimes, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. And in football, yes. injuries breed injuries. In sports in general, injuries breed injuries. But in football in particular, part of why... I'll tell you why I think Anthony Richardson should be shut down for the year. If there's any question at all. If there's any question at all that Anthony Richardson's not 100% with his shoulder, you have to shut him down. And the reason being because if you don't shut him down and you bring him back and he's at 90%, or you bring him back without even knowing it, without even recognizing it, without even being aware of it, Anthony Richardson's body is going to start to overcompensate for the shoulder in other areas in terms of his kinetics and his movement. And that's going to then compromise that area of the body that's getting more pressure on it than it's used to. And now instead of one problem, you've got one and a half.
2: And we talked about this last week as well. Another reason why you go ahead and have the surgery is if there's even a slight increase... Of the chance of him not re-injuring it because you got the surgery, you go get the surgery. Like th- This is supposed to be your franchise quarterback, ideally. There's no reason to let it rehab for four or five weeks, and then there's a chance that in week 15, he injures it again, versus if you have the surgery and they say, yeah, there's like a 50% greater chance you won't get hurt this same way again. If right. we do the surgery, then you go ahead and do it,
1: Jimmy. We've all had that situation with your car, where you take it in and, and they go, "Well, here's the thing. Um, I, you know, I can, I can go ahead and change a few of these piston rings, and, and you might get another twenty thousand out of it, or you can just go ahead and rebuild the transmission, and you're not going to have this problem for another hundred thousand miles. I, but I can't guarantee you. It's a, the, the first might work, but I can't guarantee it. Uh, Hey, Jake, this is from Colleen. As the CFO of the company, I approve the English elixir. Great purchase. Well, there we go. That's all you need.
2: Might be the most glowing response from my financial department ever. That's
1: all we need right there, right? Yeah.
2: By the way, my wife chimed in and said that uh, she doesn't often listen to the show, but she had an opportunity to today. She said you were correct. Women, no BS.
1: There's no question. Glad she tuned in for the five minutes listen, of Listen, guys, show guys, let me tell you something. Like, you think you're being crafty? You <laughs> think you've come up with some good line for bowling night on Tuesday night? You you think that when you say to your wife, and guys are going to try this, because guys are all, we're all morons. Guys are going to try to say, hey, honey, you know what? I, I know you like that. Below deck and, and the other crap that's on Bravo that, that causes your medulla obligata to actually leak out of your ear. I, I know that you like that stuff and that's cool. And, and I've tried not to, you know, I've I bit my tongue, but I want to let you know tonight, baby, I promise you. I'm going to sacrifice Tuesday night football. I'm going to sacrifice it so we can watch your show. And he thinks he's being crafty. He thinks he's being creative, and that he's saying like she doesn't really know there's no Tuesday night football, and so she's going to think you know what? <laughs> and you know what? She, women can read BS. Women are like you, full of crap. There was Monday night football. I know that for a fact. They do Thursday night football on some streaming service. There's no Tuesday night football. The only Tuesday night football is like some MAC action between with like Mac out action. of conference with Memphis and Toledo, you, you, and you're not going to watch that anyway. Women, women yeah. totally get it. Undefeated. I'm telling you. Th- totally. There
3: was one thing that went through my mind when you mentioned the medulla oblongata. Mm-hmm. Water boy. Nice. In the classroom.
1: <laughs> Did they mention the medulla oblongata? The medulla oblongata. I've, only oblongata. Seen, it once. I've yes. seen the water boy, yes. but I've only seen it once. <laughs> yes. Although I do remember this, though. And this, this relates also from the water boy. With Anthony Richardson being out for the year, which I think he's probably going to be, instantly everybody thinks to themselves, oh, no, we suck again. (laughs) Right? There you go. Yes. First thing people think of. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Jake, you're 100% on it. My ex-girlfriend, fresh off a split, asked me if I was dating my other ex that I was with for 15 years. She said women's intuition, and she was correct. Feel free to use it on the air. I'm telling you.
2: I'm telling you. I'm impressed that the takeaway has been less that oh, we figured out what Shane Steichen's saying finally, and more women are more intuitive, which I agree with both. But that has been the revelation that has been released in your text threads just now as the show is going on. Not that, Jake, thank you for figuring out what Shane Steichen's been saying. It's, hey, thank you for reminding people Here's that the women
1: thing. are Here's the thing. smarter I, People in this company. Yeah. I want people in the company to know this. Okay. Okay. I want people to know, and I thank Colleen for being on board, because I went around the CFO on this did. one. Right, did. The chairman of the board laid the hammer right. down. So, I want people to know, I'm willing to invest in what's best for the company. I want our employees to know. That I'm doing what's best for the company, like buying the English Elixir, because that's allowing us to get to the root issues of what's going on with the franchises in this town. And people want to know, when they show up to work at Quarry & Company from noon to three every day, that they, in fact, are getting the unfiltered truth. Is this an earnings call? That's right. That's right. And here's the other thing. I'm not one of those. I don't have to come on the radio for three hours a day and tell you that all I talk is the truth. Because people that truly talk the truth don't have to remind sure. you of it. Yeah. Right? Only the thin skin do that. Correct. I don't have to do that. I. And the elixir right there verifies the truth, right? It finds the truth. It. it that's exactly what it does. And it was not inexpensive. Not. Any, matter of fact, I meant to ask one of you guys if you got a place I can stay for a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? We could work some things but what out. What about your cat? What's that? But what about your cat? Are you allergic to cats? No. Well, he comes with.
2: Do you know all you need? And I don't think we have this yet. You need a director of lodging, and then you have a place to stay right there, <laughs> well, whether it's a hotel or just see, a safe house.
1: It would be, it would obviously just be with Shannon. The only problem is uh, Boo the cat has yet to meet the dogs. Mm. And there's a level of concern there, right? Sure. We can't have the stepkids not getting along. A tale you know as I mean? old as time. That's cats right. versus dogs. That's exactly right. Uh, but. All the kidding, all the elixir aside, I do think that what we have seen in the last 24 hours, which is really of no major surprise, is the tea leaves are starting to turn towards the fact that it does appear. And I will say right now, I think, I'm not saying anything that, but having been, having covered the Colts or analyzed the Colts or deciphered the Colts for 20 plus years. You know, sometimes the thing about the Colts is they are actually more transparent than we give them credit. And I think they're being transparent. And I do think that it is, th- things are pointing towards the direction that, yes, in fact, Anthony Richardson is going to be shelved. If I'm a Colts fan, I would fan, anticipate we're going to hear that in the next yeah. week.
2: If I'm a Colts fan, I'm somewhat appreciative of Jim Irse making this painless because the other element Correct. of this as a fan is is with all the uncertainty of oh well it's just a four to six week injury to over the weekend well he might need to have surgery now if the owner's coming out and saying that it removes some of your false hope if you had it before that well maybe we get him back right. back half of the Correct. season and he gets six games to play with and there's more opportunity for reps for him that glimmer of hope now is is taken away in a form of transparency that again he did, Put a couple cushions there of it's probably trending that way or it's not definite yet. But if he's coming out and saying that, to me it feels like they are willing to let Anthony Richardson and his doctors and all the different different medical experts they have called upon to help make that decision. And I believe he says it in the piece uh, that Stephen Holder had. And again, we'll talk to him at 2 o'clock. But he mentioned that it's up to Anthony Richardson. It's his decision. And I think that is a imperative Branch between ownership and player to give the young player control of his future. They're going to weigh in, but let him make the decision of what he wants to do.
1: Now, one other thing. By the way, Dave would like to know, hey, Jake, can I be the company electrician? Absolutely, Dave. Uh, because, but here's the thing. I don't think that we're going to need a lot of electricity for the, the Elixir, and I'll tell you why. It did come with, I bought a very limited package, so we can't overuse it. We have mm. to use it fairly sparingly. It's a wonderful tool, And we, so once it does one interpretation, you can, you can do that interpretation unlimited times. Right. But we can't ask it. We can't overuse its interpretation skills Sure. because I bought a very limited, I didn't buy the gold pack. It's in Bay. I mean, it's very early, right? It's here's the thing. I'm not going to lie to you guys. They they had the gold package. mm -hmm. That was one of the offerings. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I'm a little embarrassed to say this. I, I bought the I bought what was called the the Bangladesh Track and Field Olympic package. Okay. So that's not gold, silver, or bronze package. That's like very low down. Sure. So
3: does like gold give you like a British accent or something?
1: Uh, gold no gold gives you unlimited Got unlimited. It. I didn't know if we had like voice. It also gives you options. It does give you options of language and dialect. Okay. But I went with the most basic. Now if we if we if the elixir turns out to be accurate, because we don't know yet if it's accurate. But if it turns out that it's accurate and 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 it's prophetic then maybe we invest a little more into the gold and we get you know we buy a little more packaging There were rumors on some tech sites that the platinum
2: package had Morgan Freeman with it, but I don't know if that's <laughs> actually true. That's right. I just had heard. That's
1: right. That's right. Uh, yeah, Morgan Freeman supplementing his income down in Mississippi by being the voice of the, the elixir, right? Yes, exactly. That's right. Then it's just the Shawshank elixir. We went with Pretty the much. English elixir. Yeah. Uh, again, Alex Golden going to join us in an hour from now to talk about the Pacers and Stephen Holder at 2 o'clock to talk about the big story of the day, Anthony Richardson, and the future for the quarterback, at least for the time being, in Indianapolis. It's a Tuesday. It's Querying Company, 93.5-107. 7-5 The Fan.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: So, Jimmy. Yes, <clears> sir. <throat> if you were, in fact, to What's the next vacation you're taking?
2: Uh, I'm taking a road trip to Lambo in December.
1: Okay. Have you you been to Lambo? Have not. Eddie, you been to Lambo? Nope. I want to though, so bad. Did you watch uh, Making a Murderer? Parts. I didn't watch it all the way through. If you stop in Manitowoc on the way up, you can go to the junkyard where that all happened. Uh, I wouldn't advise going up and knocking on the office door. They seem.
2: Uh, is that from experience? Because I've heard past stories. And...
1: <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> they don't seem overly anxious to discuss the situation. <laughs> On your way up, you got to stop in Milwaukee. Okay, you got to go to the old Pabst Brewery and go to the best place bar, which is in the old Pabst, the original Pabst Brewing in the boardroom. We know a little something about boardrooms here at Aquarian Company, naturally. Right? They have three beers on tap, Schlitz, Blatz, and Pabst, and you can sit in the boardroom of the original Pabst Brewing and have yourself a cold one in Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a fabulous, fabulous city. I love Milwaukee. I love everything about it, except for that when we go up there, as we do every year on our trip right before Christmas, it gets dark at four in the afternoon. Other than that, it's great. Lambo is great. Uh, but if you were to, Lambo would be a good example, because there are pro- probably plenty of bottles, Right? That are yeah. laying around. Beer bottles from yesteryear that are laying around. So if you're walking along in Lambeau, you're going to tailgate? Yes. Okay. So you're walking around and you're tailgating in Lambeau. Now, are you overnighting in Lambeau?
2: Uh, we're staying like 30 minutes away from Lambeau because of prices. Okay. Wildly expensive to go stay near Lambeau, which I, I mean, didn't surprise me that much, but very, very expensive to stay near Lambeau for
1: a Packers game. So you're tailgating in Lambeau, you're walking along, you've maybe had one too many PAPS, which is fine because it's, you know, you're you're you got somebody driving you around. Correct. And as you're walking, there before you is an old, old, old bottle of schlitz. Been there since 74, probably. And you're walking along and you lose your footing and you kick the bottle, and then lo and behold, guess who comes out of the bottle? Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> it is our friend, Robin the Genie. You would go
2: from shame to excitement. Like you go zero to 60. That's
1: right. That's what happened there. So Robin the Genie pops out of the bottle and says to you, Jimmy Cook, he says, Jimmy, it is me, Robin the Genie. Thank you for releasing me. Lambo sucks. For your... Freedom, you have given me. I offer you the following I'm going to ask you a question, and if you get it correct, you will get one million dollars directly deposited into your bank.
2: Now, this is where I stop (laughs) Robin the Genie and I say, Hey, pal, listen, it's great to see you again, but I've owed one million the last time we played this game. So, what's going
3: on here? Maybe he's trying to win that million back. Oh, it's a double or nothing. We pay only on the 10th and 25th. (laughs)
1: So my question for you is, will Anthony Richardson make another start or appearance for the Indianapolis Colts this year? No, Robin, it's over.
2: We will not see Anthony Richardson again in twenty twenty three
1: suited up under center. I have bad news for you, Mr. Cook. Oh. I do know as a genie, by the way, that the Packers are going to beat your Chiefs soundly today at Lambeau. <laughs> All right, there we go. So you lock it in. You will not you do not think he's gonna play for the rest of the year. No, I don't. Was it just a solo mission today? No one else. By the else way, I can made up the genie voice right there. That is politically incorrect, right? The, I think it was the, fine. I didn't offend anybody. Was gonna, there. Give was, me some Zoltar vibes. I,
2: I was going Yeah, I would agree with that. I
1: yeah, Okay.
2: I was thinking that I got a to shame remember that we bought the budget on the translator because man, <laughs> we really could have outsourced a bit and get an authentic genie in here.
1: <laughs> Genies are probably You know what? When you win that million bucks. There you go. Cuz I think you're going to win that million dollars. I do. I I just I think that the Colts are going to play this. Con- Here is another thing: if this were year six, and you knew what Richardson was, and let's say that that you know you find out that he's a good quarterback, but not like the franchise, then maybe you maybe you roll with it and you say, look, we got a chance to get a wild card. Let's go for it. But for this particular situation with a franchise quarterback and a young player, they are going to play it conservatively and they're going to play it to the point that is the safest for his long-term health.
2: Do you know what fascinates me the most with this? And it's one of those things where we'll never get the answer, honestly. But what was the first opinion? Was the first opinion four to six weeks, sit and rehab it? And then he went to other doctors and then the consensus was, hey, question. you should probably get the surgery? Or was it, hey, you should probably get the surgery? And then he went to the other doctors and they confirmed it. It's a very good question. Now that matters. I'm not accusing anything of anybody. I'm just curious of of where the analysis would be on that in terms of your initial meeting with team doctors and then your follow-ups with other doctors.
3: Jimmy, you know what this sounds like? What's it sound like? Sounds like you've got your tinfoiled hat going. Oh, I so saw... Got, I,
1: it, there it is. <laughs> I saw
3: the well, genie going. So
1: I saw the Why genie the going. <laughs> still going. What are we doing here, Eddie?
3: I don't know.
2: So your tinfoil hat says what, Jimmy? Just curious what the first opinion
1: was. Of medical evaluation of Anthony Richardson. I I think the first opinion was that he had a grade three sprain or whatever it was, and that it would be a four to six week process. But then I think to your point, yes, I do think that once they asked around, they probably, to be honest with you, and and I I don't know, again, this would be an assumption.
2: The reports say the consensus is, meaning they talked to multiple doctors and they said surgery is
1: probably an avenue to go. My guess would be this. Yeah. Yeah. My guess would be that the initial word that you heard was four to six weeks because they probably weren't sure. They knew it was the area specifically of the upper shoulder. They probably had a more um, generic MRI that came back and told them that. Then they started going to actual specialists who do nothing but the shoulder and got yeah. more a more nuanced you know determination of what 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 was going on now one of the things that's interesting my friend paul the mailman points this out and i think it's a fabulous point there are more layers to this onion okay michael Pittman jr when is his contract up end of this year okay what position does he play happens to play wide receiver when a wide receiver is doing what they do, which is receiving the football, mm-hmm. in 99.999% of the cases, what position player is the one that is delivering them the football? I think it's usually the quarterback. Okay. So you probably would like to know what sort of chemistry there is between Michael Pittman Jr. and the quarterback that's going to be throwing him the ball before you commit to $28 million a year, correct? That's fair. Do you know yet the way Anthony Richardson works and plays with Michael Pittman? Probably have a pretty good idea. You know that Pittman is an important player. But are you interested now in giving a wide receiver a new four-year deal for $100 million, knowing that the first year of that four years is an acclimation period for the guy throwing the ball? I will
3: add this for number's sake. Right now, he's averaging 68 yards per game, and he's on pace for a career high in yards at 1150.
1: Now, you're talking about Pittman. Correct. Okay. Well, how many of those were thrown by Richardson? Right. So, very fair. You look at
2: the game against Jacksonville and the game against Houston and the Houston game. We're going to have to go back and look at the film and, and figure out where the target splits were from Richardson and from Minshew, but just from a target standpoint. So by the, why I care about targets, not just from a fantasy football standpoint, why I care about targets is how often is the quarterback looking at that specific weapon? How vital is that weapon in terms of whether it's safety blanket, whether it's just utilization of the offense, how often is the quarterback looking at that specific receiver for Michael Pittman jr. The opener targeted 11 times for eight catches Against Houston, 12 times for eight catches. Against the Ravens, that's a Minshew game. 11 targets for nine catches. Against the Rams, they didn't throw the ball a ton that game. Five targets for one catch. Titans, seven targets for five receptions. Jags, 14 targets for nine receptions. Again, that is a Minshew game. So he's being utilized like you would like a number one wide receiver, but to the point of... Uh, you said it's Paul? Yes. To the point of Paul... There's not a high enough sample size there where your contract
1: negotiations
2: could solely be based on the usage of Pittman and Richardson.
1: Michael Pittman, sure, getting ready to sign a contract extension, theoretically, right? Jonathan Taylor just signed one. Kicks in next year. Taylor next year kicks in. You front-loaded Taylor's deal because you wanted to make sure that th- that you didn't overspend in like year 3 or 4, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't want to do what I did with the English elixir and overspend. Right. So with Taylor, you front-loaded that money. Okay? So Jonathan Taylor, the money where you're truly investing with them is essentially the next two seasons. Well, one of those is going to be a reacclimation period, and the next one is going to be theoretically when ri- essentially Richardson's first real year in the league. And now, all of a sudden, once Richardson now is going and, and is on the treadmill and is comfortable at a comfortable walking pace and getting it into a regular jog, now the guys that you that supposed were supposed to be running with them as they were all hitting stride together, he's just hitting stride, and those guys from a financial standpoint, now they're starting to, to slide to the back end of that. The timing in terms of the guys that were all supposed to be Peyton Manning, I go back to it because that was the era of greatness that we compare to and that you strive towards. Andrew Luck, what threw off Andrew Luck as much as anything? What threw off Andrew Luck as much as anything is when you drafted him, you drafted what you thought were familiar, stabilizing receivers for him. Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen that was going to be a short yardage safety net for him you had Reggie Wayne. What what helped Andrew Luck the most was Reggie Wayne found the fountain of youth and had like two or three good years for Andrew Luck. But then once that went away, who was Luck throwing to? I mean, T.Y. Hilton, of course, was a very good player. But that's not an every down type player. The guys that were supposed to be his safety net weren't there. Peyton Manning. When you first drafted Peyton Manning, what they do? They draft Jerome Payton and E.G. Green, and they 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 ship out Marshall Falk because they wanted. And obviously, Payton and Green, you had to eventually flip into other players. But by the time Manning was hitting his stride, he already had Marvin Harrison coming back from injury. He had edge, or he had Reggie Wayne that was growing along with him. He had. You know, initially Ken Dilger to throw to as a safety net, which became Marcus Pollard, and then you know, obviously Dallas Clark, who grew with him. You had Edron James behind him that was growing at the same time as him. All the timelines were on par. This throws off timelines, not not critically, not critically, but it does throw a monkey wrench into the timelines, and then you have to go back and reset a little bit. Not a total reset, but you've got to. You're not. Like The Colts right now, they're not to the point yet of hitting the power button and the volume button at the same time and letting the phone go completely black and then the app will come back up. But they are going through right now and having to go through and close out some apps.
2: Michael Pittman Jr. and the decision on him is going to be based on the player that he is and the player that you think he can be with Anthony Richardson. And what we know Michael Pittman Jr. is, he's a high-level possession receiver, He's always near the sticks. He's not as actually a guy that's going to go take the top off of defense, but he's reliable, and if you're going to give a heavy target share his way, more often than not, he's going to come down with the football. Michael Pittman Jr. next year is a free agent in a class that includes names like Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Calvin Ridley, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., just to name a few. Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be one of those wide receivers that, at his best, is probably a high-end wide receiver two that's going to get paid like a wide receiver one meaning it's going to be up there in terms of I'm not saying record setting contract, but he's going to demand a pretty penny. We said this a year ago when the Christian Kirk deal was signed, even though the deal was criticized and it ended up working out for the Jags. If that's the type of money Christian Kirk got, look at what a wide receiver like Michael Pittman Jr. is going to get. The Colts are going to have to make a decision next offseason if it's Michael Pittman Jr., if they're going to pursue T. Higgins, or if they're going to try to do it
1: through the draft. There's one other area where the ripple is felt, and I'll tell you what that is next. Next. jimmy cook allow me to to, uh, ask you this okay when you were a quarterback who is the one player on the roster that you have the most interaction with i would think on the field Mm -hmm. who is the most important player to a quarterback that's a phil- I mean, that's a philosophical question, but I'll say... Who is the one player that a quarterback can essentially... That it is impossible for the quarterback to do his job without this player on the field? The center. Correct. Who is the Colts center? Ryan Kelly. How long has Ryan Kelly been in the league?
2: What are we on? Five years now, Eddie? All right. Am I too far?
1: If not six, right? Ryan Kelly, true or false, has had some health issues. Uh, injury. I mean, not health. Eight. Eight years. Okay, oh, wow. Eight. Okay. Okay. Ryan Kelly is probably towards the tail end of his career. I don't mean from a performance standpoint. I just mean from a family-slash-mindset-slash-health uh, standpoint. When I say the tail end, maybe two, three years left, right? Yeah. Okay.
2: I mean, it's not – It's a. it's a very thankless – some in the trenches warfare position but, that yeah, but Ryan life, Kelly, the
1: life the shelf life is what okay. it is Ryan Kelly the last few years true or false has been kind of year to year in terms of the certainty that he would return yes on his by his choice I'm talking correct about. yes okay Anthony Richardson if he is shelved this year then basically he is a rookie next year agreed
2: yeah it's a it's a de facto
1: rookie season yes but, I mean, he's taken how many his, – has his Anthony Richardson even taken enough snaps to merit being one total game? Yes. Has he? Yes.
3: I think he's taken 179. I think that's the number that
1: I guess Kevin which game, out there. Which game did – I guess he basically finished the what? He finished the Rams. He pretty much finished ball, the Rams game. The Rams yeah. game, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. So, okay, two games, let's say. He's probably played a total of two games. Sure. Okay. So basically next year you're reset I mean he's not he's not throwing right yes. So next year becomes his rookie year all over again fine Then the year after that is the year where you really want to see where he is He's had a year to learn defenses to have adjustments made against him He hadn't played enough games right now that where defenses are learning him on tape So that happens next year where he's learning different looks. He's getting familiar with different weapons around him. And then in year three, which is really year two, but in year three is when you really want to start seeing exactly where he is. Which, oh, by the way, might be the, the year that either you are bringing in a new rookie center or getting the final year of the guy that snaps in the ball every time and is the center fielder for the offensive line in determining defensive looks at the time when your critical franchise piece is learning how to read defenses. Less than advantageous. Less than ideal. Not terrible, but again, timeline shuffled, right? Yes. So the the injury on paper looks like, eh, it's not that bad. You know, he'll bounce back from it. Matt Stafford did. It was no problem. The physical state, I have zero question about the fact that Anthony Richardson, physically speaking, will bounce back at 100% and have the same skill set that he's always had. The challenge then becomes... What does it do in terms of the timelines and the the, the on-field learning, the on-job training, etc.? And in that case, a lot of the pieces that need to coincide with what you need at a prime level Anthony Richardson are set back a little bit. And all of a sudden, it just looks like... You ever play chess? Yes. So when you play chess, you have like the, the one piece whether like let's say it's your it's your queen that you're moving towards the other teams the other guy's side of the board you kind of always like to have you hate it when your pawns get wiped out because they're just pawns right but the pawns of the defense the line of defense you want them you want as many pawns as possible on the line right in front of where the queen is right yes so as the pawns get taken away it hurts you a little bit because now all of a sudden your queen is really vulnerable And that's what happens with a franchise quarterback. You want your, sure, the center, the tight end, the slot receiver, those are pawns. But you want as many of them moving at the same pace as the queen as possible. And when those things get juxtaposed around, all of a sudden you find yourself in a tough spot.
2: There is a key difference, though, for next year. And it is that the narrative around Anthony Richardson going into this season was look at the starts. Look at the accuracy numbers. He's going to be rattled in the NFL. He's not going to be able to rise to the moment. He's going to be inaccurate all the time. There's going to be a ton of turnovers, and he's just a he's a gimmick quarterback that's just going to be able to run the ball. How is he going to be able to withstand things in the pocket? I understand he got hurt, but that wasn't a big narrative around him coming out of the draft. It wasn't oh he's an injury prone QB. Right. At least you have going into next year. Now, albeit a very small sample size. But you have actual, real, not preseason, real regular season film of him as a quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts in the National Football League, and he does not look lost. Totally he agree. looks competent. Totally, agree. totally It's agree. a better feeling going into next year of, if that is what ends up happening, which it's trending that way,
1: that there's less fog of uncertainty and more, But can he stay healthy? He, here, here would be the only thing, and I'm playing devil's advocate. Sure. I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't want to be the bad guy. I love this town like like nobody's business. I don't want to be the bad guy in it, right? But a devil's advocate point I can make to that about Anthony Richardson and whether or not he looks lost or competent. And I'll do it to start out the next hour. And then Alex Golden at 130 and Stephen Holder at 2.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com, and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: I have a friend that I, is my class. So I was in college, started college in the fall of 91. And, of course, for, for me, I finished college like, you know, in the... Spring of 23. But for my contemporaries, college was 91 to like 95, 96. A really good friend of mine had never heard of Soundgarden. I'm like, wait, what? Like the grunge era? What do you mean the grunge era? I'm like, the grunge era? Like, why do you, what do you, what do you mean the grunge era? I'm like, what do you think everybody was running around in hiking boots and flannels for in college? Like, we weren't doing it because <laughs> because we lived in a mountainous area, right? It was the grunge era. Was it because it was fall? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like, <laughs> I've got pictures of me in the summer of 94. I was an intern in New York City. Uh, one of my favorite pictures ever, I'm standing actually in, it's weird to say, in what is now ground zero, where the two fountains are, but I, I was standing in the plaza between the two World Trade Center towers, and I'm wearing a Pacers t-shirt. A pair of olive green J. Crew shorts and rag socks with hiking boots. Literally, you wore hiking boots like to play pickup basketball in 1994. Is ridiculous. Okay, you were talking about Anthony Richardson, and so far he doesn't look like law- And I totally agree with you. That, that you, you so can far- at least
2: know he can do it, right? Like you know he can. There's groundwork there. It's no longer question marks of. Not to say they couldn't still arise, but you're not going into the offseason thinking I. I don't know if this guy can play quarterback. I don't know if he can play it long-term, but there hasn't been all the concerns about his accuracy and the fact that he had only 13 stars to his name. That wasn't the ever-present
1: theme in the games he played. I don't disagree with that at all. However, I would still point out there have been quarterbacks that early on Sure. I'm gonna. I'll go on the way back and I'll bring it more recent. Okay, the one that jumps out first and foremost, Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer is a rookie with the Seahawks. Came in with Bledsoe, and they were the one-two. And Meyer, it was like, this guy can play, man. He threw for three thousand. He was, I mean, he had a monster rookie year. And he was a journeyman after that, like because defenses found out Rick Meyer's tendencies. There was enough tape on him that they started doing different stunts and different looks that that befuddled him. Truth be told, Ryan Leaf. Now, Ryan Leaf, I think a lot of it was circumstantial, but I remember I mean, Ryan Leaf very early got off to a pretty decent start in San Diego. And then he became a knucklehead. A lot of it was on Ryan Leaf. And then, you know, there was he didn't have great help around him. But there were tendencies where it looked like he was going to be a player. There are other guys that in their rookie year, you're like, oh my gosh, like Brian Greasy. Man, this guy's great. Like, you know, they got to steal in Brian Greasy. And then people kind of figured him out. And there are players that come in. As rookie quarterbacks and really play well, and in particular guys that didn't have a lot of college tape, because you don't know their tendencies and you don't know really what their strength is. And I don't know that at this point, Jimmy, that Anthony Richards, I totally agree with you that he has absolutely been everything that you could ask for. He's been mature. He's been likable. He's been responsible. He's been, he's worked hard. And When he's out there, he absolutely looks like a guy that is not consumed by the moment. I, I don't disagree with you at all. The only thing that I would say is the one thing that is the t- you've I'm going to reference for the second day in a row of the movie Major League right. Pedro Serrano, first day of training camps hitting home runs every single pitch, and Lou Brown the manager comes up and goes, "This guy hits it a ton. Why didn't anybody else sign him?" And then they go, they yell out and throw him a curveball. And he cannot hit a curveball, right? And so teams figured out that Pedro Serrano couldn't hit a curve and he never saw fastball again. So the real test, Jimmy, is simply going to be, and I tend to agree with you, but I do think that there is the hesitation of, is it possible that he is going to ultimately see different defenses that he has not yet seen? And in particular, people are going to see on tape what his tendencies are and and start shutting it down.
2: Look, I'm not naive, and I agree with your point. I understand he was playing devil's advocate, but... His pendulum, is his career pendulum, if you look at where it could swing, it is not at all even remotely close to being done swinging. Undoubtedly. But the fact that at least the idea of can you build it, can you work with him, can you work with a guy that only had 13 stars of college, doesn't mean it's going to work out, but in the small sample size, you've at least seen some flashes of there could be something built here. Doesn't mean that it's going to end well. I mean, there's been plenty of electric quarterbacks, dynamic quarterbacks that they wind up being average. Like, I look back at, even though the hype wasn't nearly there in terms of his build, but like, Jameis Winston could throw touchdown passes, yeah. but he also threw a ton of interceptions. Like, it, it you're going to have quarterbacks where sometimes they are all otherworldly and other times they're just average and sometimes they bottom out of the league like maybe I, maybe he doesn't get back on the
1: field I don't the know the other thing Jimmy is I think a quarterback so much of, for a quarterback it has to do with who's around them yes you know what I and mean and
2: not just per, not just personnel coaching staff as well that that matters a great deal look at look at nothing else but Miami right now with Mike McDaniel and Tua in that offense they are light years better than they ever were prior to his
1: arrival like this show might still suck I don't know but and i don't i don't like i'm not any good but it would really suck like if the two of you were not here right because it's about who's around the people sure you know what i mean yeah. i mean in all honesty like that 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 is everything the acclamation period of a new radio show for example is about the people that are around you And I think from a quarterback standpoint, that is also so critically important. And now does Richardson, by now getting set back a year, does it change some of the faces that are around him? I'm not trying to sit here and
2: guarantee that he's going to be a franchise quarterback and he's going to go down as as a great Colts quarterback. I'm merely saying that there was a lot of concern and mystery around the lack of starts, around the lack of reps, and could he handle life in the NFL and was throwing him out there early the right decision. I'll, I'll hear a lot of conversations. I'm not going to tolerate, and no one said this, but I'm not going to tolerate the idea of, oh, well, if you would have sat him, he never gets hurt. Like, you would have no possible idea of knowing that. But the argument could have been made, well, he'd get too overwhelmed or he'd get rushed if you start him too early. That that never happened. Very small sample size. He could see exotic coverages. People learn more about him. I'm not sitting here guaranteeing it's going to work out with him as quarterback I'm merely saying there's more reason for optimism if he shut down for the talk of the offseason of what he could be next year than there was going into this season. Right.
1: Fair enough. No question about that. I mean, no question the glimpse is there. No doubt about it. Uh, Eddie, it looks like we got breaking news.
3: ESPN's Adrian Woznarowski reporting that the Houston Rockets are trading guard Kevin Porter Jr. in two future second-round picks for the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are waving Porter Jr. immediately once the trade is completed. And the Thunder are sending the Rockets, former Pacer and Indiana Hoosier and Miami Heat and Orlando Magic wing Victor Oladipo and Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the transaction.
1: So let's write this down because there's something interesting about this, okay? So this means, this is how I always do this with trades. I write down the two teams, okay? So we have Houston and we have Orlando. Or excuse me, Oklahoma Oklahoma City, City, right? So Oklahoma City is receiving, give me uh, the names again, please.
3: The Thunder are acquiring a 2027 second round pick Okay, via Minnesota. Okay. And a twenty twenty eight second round pick via Milwaukee. Okay. They are also receiving Kevin Porter Jr. Okay. But they plan to waive him
1: once the transaction is complete okay. through the league office. Kevin Porter Junior, by the way, the absolute poster child of the Jake Queryism of a twenty twenty five guy, destined to score twenty a game for a twenty five win team the rest of his career. Uh allegedly kind of a knucklehead. Played out at USC, is that right? Sounds about right.
2: Uh, two other notes: Has any given you all the details Hang on, yet? No. Okay, all uh, right. Other players. Uh, so that is
3: all on the Oklahoma City side so, in terms of what they receive.
1: So Kevin Porter Jr. is the only player Oklahoma City is receiving.
3: Correct. Okay, and they're going to waive him. And Houston is receiving. They are receiving Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Victor Oladipo. Okay,
1: so. While I process that, Jimmy, go ahead with your note. Yeah, so this is more from Adrian Wojnarowski. I was Uh, going to already hit that. Yeah. Yeah, Porter Jr. is
2: facing assault charges based on an incident with a girlfriend. That's not saying that's directly tied to why he was dealt, but what the Thunder basically did here is they bought two picks from the Rockets because they're going to pay $16.9 million guaranteed left on Porter Jr.'s contract to waive him, and they'll gather effectively four second-round picks and acquiring a moving Oladipo's $9.5 nine and a half million dollar expiring dealers offense or this offseason. The only other part of the tweet I care about, and if you followed the NBA, you knew it was a high stockpile, but just to reiterate it because it's absolutely nuts, OKC has 15 first round and 22 second round picks over the next seven years.
1: Okay. Now Houston essentially sent the you know the two picks and they they free themselves of Porter Jr. And they get back a guy that's seven and four a game, who's a young guy in Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Oladipo. One would assume this is signaling signaling towards and Oladipo was with Houston last year briefly, was he not?
2: Uh no, the Miami Maybe trade like, the Miami trade happened uh in twenty one. He may have he may have been traded there, but then just immediately
3: flipped around. Okay, let me last two it.
1: years he's been in Miami but he has played in Houston briefly, correct? Played in Houston briefly in 21.
3: Yeah, he did. Yeah. Because he was a part of that playoff
1: I'm looking at – I want to make sure we're on the same page.
2: I'm looking at his, like, box score chart. How many games did he play in Houston? 20 games in the 2020-2021 season. Right,
1: so that would define that he played in Houston briefly. I thought you asked last year. I'm sorry. I I think I did say last year initially. But my point being this, Victor Oladipo, Victor Oladipo now. There are three kinds of players in the NBA for the most part. Um you know important pieces, veteran salary match guys and 2025 guys. 2025 guys are like I talked about, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. classic 2025 guy. 20 points a game, 25-win team his whole career. Somebody's got to score points. Somebody's got to score points in Orlando. Somebody's got to score points in you know, Sacramento five years ago, that kind of thing. And then, then you and they have no idea how to play with anybody. They just go out there and the ball comes in their hand. It's going up. Ricky Davis, the ball's going up. He's going to score. And then you have those players that – become vagabond players because at some point they signed a contract that was worth more than what they're able to give you on the floor, and then their value becomes having nothing to do with their playing, and rather their value becomes that they are they are simply a transactional finalization piece. Jake, on the uh,
3: Oladipo front, I think you're thinking in 21, when the Pacers acquired Karis LeVert, they, they sent Oladipo to Houston, and then he got immediately traded to
2: Miami right after that. So I think you're
3: thinking about that But he that
1: ended one. up back in Houston, right?
2: He played games as a Houston Rocket. He Correct. At one point okay. in time, he played games for the Houston Rockets. Correct.
1: It was two years ago, but yes. But at any rate, he has now become, and the reason why it's almost confusing because he's a vagabond guy, is because he has become nothing more than a transactional piece. His salary meshes well in deals. Correct. Yes. And he doesn't bring you much anymore. He, as a player, and I'm not saying this as like, you know sour grapes but victor oladipo towards the end here was a clown period i know people here want to love him because he played at iu and he almost had an unbelievable dunk against michigan that makes for a great picture in sports illustrated but he didn't he didn't make it he was a great player at indiana one of the all-time greats at indiana now i saw some website with two guys that are like 24 years old talking about the all-time greatest iu player and They're like victor oladipo is the all-time greatest player in iu basketball history like, victor oladipo ain't a top 10 player in I.E. basketball history. Well, it's probably 10. So he's top 10, but but I digress. When Victor Oladipo came here, he was a wonderful trade. It was brilliant by the Pacers to trade Paul George and get back DeMontis Sabonis and Victor Oladipo. It was brilliant at the time. Brilliant. And Oladipo absolutely took on and embraced And made love to the mantra of becoming the guy in Indiana. And he did what Reggie Miller did. And quite frankly, what Paul George never did. Paul George was the, Paul George might be the best all around player in a skill set standpoint to ever play an NBA game for the Indiana Pacers. It might be Paul George. But Paul George never did one thing. And that was he never accepted the role of, of carrying the chip on his shoulder that comes with representing the state of Indiana. In the state of Indiana, there is a an element of an inferiority complex of pushing your chest out like, look... Like People loved it when Reggie Miller beat the Knicks because he looked right in the cameras on on NBC and said, this is for you, Indiana. We're coming back. And people are like, this guy, I love it. This guy's from Southern California, came to Indiana, and he has the Hoosier, chip menta- the Hoosier mentality chip on his shoulder. Love, 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 love it. People loved it. He's here for us. He's not here He's for himself. Correct. Victor Oladipo grows up on the East Coast, goes to Indiana, gets what it means to be a Hoosier. Chomp, you know, like cuts his teeth in the NBA in Orlando and then Oklahoma City and comes to the Pacers and immediately takes on that chip. Love, 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 love it. This is my city. I'm gonna pop out the Indiana on my jersey. Jermaine O'Neal did the same thing. Indiana, like this is what I love. I'm I'm Indiana. I represent Indiana. And people loved it. And then the most dangerous thing happened in professional sports. There are a lot of dangers in pro sports. Injuries, defensive linemen taking you out at your knees, women, partying, alcohol, drugs for that matter, a lot of dangers in professional sports, but sometimes the most dangerous, bad advice. People People from your past or people from your hometown that start getting in your ear, you're better than them. You're too big a star. Believe in your brand. I've said forever. Paul George. When Paul George went on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and he came out, and he looked like he he looked like Rockwell in the "Somebody's Watching Me" video. He had on these black shiny leather pants and high top tennis shoes that were like lime green, and some like the puffy shirt from Seinfeld. And I'm like, what is he doing? And he sat down and said, "Well, I've hired a personal stylist." And right then, I thought to myself, it's over. It's over. Because if you think you need a personal stylist and you're going to come out there and you look kind of like a clown and you're playing in Indiana, then you think that your brand has outgrown the state of Indiana and, and you have an eye elsewhere. It is over. And it was, right? Victor Oladipo's case, he was, he was doing all the right things in Indiana. He was a former IU player. He was a star. He was beloved. It was my city, my city, my city. And then he started listening to a guy from home that told him, you're bigger than this. You're a star. You need to go on Masked Singer. You need to start producing albums. You need to be like Ron Artest and like start, and you can't do it from Indiana. Now, never mind, none of these guys stop to think about the fact that the most commercialized athlete in the history of sports of the last twenty five years, not named Michael Jordan, made a gabillion commercials while playing for the Indianapolis Colts. You couldn't turn on your TV set during the Peyton Manning prime era and not see him on Saturday Night Live or a MasterCard commercial or you know, State or not State Farm or whatever it is. I mean, all of them, right? Sure. Every every other commercial. They're not from a saying, guy from boo, Indianapolis. They're saying movers. That's right. That was my favorite. And cut that meat, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's football on your phone. LeBron James living in Cleveland, Ohio. You knew who wants to live in Cleveland, Ohio. People from Cleveland, Ohio. LeBron James on every everywhere, right? Yes. While playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, because he's a star. Victor Oladipo though convinced himself that he was bigger than Indianapolis. He needed to be elsewhere. I want to be in Miami. I want to be a big star. He went to Miami. He got hurt. He gambled on himself. Guess what? Here you he are. Right? I mean, Kevin Pritchard deserves massive amounts of credit for what he got for Paul George and then flipping those players into now ultimately in the end, Tyrese Halliburton.
2: Yeah, that's the that's my I love sports history, but I especially love trades and transactions that lead to moves that happened like five years after the fact. And Tyrese Halliburton is that.
1: Totally. I mean, if you go back and you look at the history of it, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, really? Like the way it all, the, the family tree of it all. But Oladipo, I wish him the best, but it's over now, right? He gambled on himself twice his body and I, you feel bad for the guy because the second injury it was the same as the one that basically des, you know devastated him devastated him here in Indiana but when when Oladipo had that injury people don't realize this when Oladipo was at his apex as a pacer he gets hurt just before like midway through the season yes. the team gets into the playoffs anyway takes on Boston he's in Miami rehabbing not even around the team. And finally, the Pacers have to reach out to Oladipo and say, you need to come up here and be with your guys in the postseason. So guess what he does? He misses his flight. It's a clown. Right? I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. Sure. What a nice guy. Whatever. But I think there are a lot of people that like soured on him here because it's like, okay, man. Like Indiana's a, Indiana's the greatest state in the country so long as you don't try to act like you're greater than it is yes and the second you do that over so now he's in back in houston where i mean and houston's got young pieces but they're probably going to be you know he ain't a 2025 20, guy in houston i mean he's going to be a, right he's going to be a 925 he'll, he'll
2: be what he potentially was in miami which is he played 42 games for them last year Again, he re-injures the knee and has to have surgery. He started only two games. He averaged about 10 points a contest. He's, at best, a veteran bench guy for them. At worst, they waive him and he's looking for a new home. And, like, there is part of me, the Pacers fan slash the Hoosiers fan, like, the the, the way things were mucked up at the end of the Pacers tenure weighs heavily. But, like, yeah, I, I... I feel bad for the guy from an injury history. You can feel bad for somebody that, like, they just can't stay healthy anymore and things sprout out of control. To your point, Jake, probably off of bad advice, you can still feel bad for the player while still, like, looking at what could have been had he just had his head
1: on straight. Correct. No no doubt about it. Uh, This, by the way, good question. Jake on Twitter, I've been watching football for over 30 years. Does it seem like players have been more open about injuries versus hiding it and playing through it? It seems like no one was ever injured in the two thousands, and today players are always hurt and missing games.
2: You know, I mean, the concussion protocol influences that a little bit because you're always hearing names on injury lists, especially
1: this year due to concussions. I think there are three things that factor into this. Yeah, there's a little bit of Bader Meinhoff phenomenon here, but but <laughs> number one. I do think that there is a greater awareness of injury and precaution of injury than there was 25 years ago. Right. So, the day, you know, Gary Brackett told me one time that, you know, he remembers like playing in a game and coming to the sidelines and seeing stars and couldn't remember like where he was exactly. And they like put smelling salt in him. It's like, go back out there. I'm not saying that's what they did. He, his mentality was take Smolinski, let's go back right. out there. Right. It just was the it was just was the thought process. And then as we became more aware of the hazards and the dangers of some of the long term effects of injuries, there became a greater precaution about it. So that that certainly is in play. Okay. That's number one. Number two. As the financial investment in players have increased teams have seen the players more, not only like from a humanitarian side, but more importantly, from an ownership standpoint, the financial investment, they are looking at long-term payoff to make sure that they get the most out of the player. And oftentimes, they know that means short-term penalty for long-term investment payoff.
2: Especially if this specific texter is referring to the Anthony Richardson situation, because that is just buku bucks money that you're having to give to that position someday. You want to make sure you handle everything right in the short term so that you're not at a risk of re-injury. right? You can't fully prevent injuries, but if this is going to be something that if you don't do surgery on it and then it pops Correct. up again in five years after you're paying Correct. him a $400 million, $300 million contract, then that's a bigger deal than a rookie-scale deal getting a surgery.
1: So number three would be... I do think, and by no means am I pretending that medicine in the 2000s was the dark ages. I mean, they weren't like giving guys whiskey and getting, you know what I mean? No witch doctors. Right. But I do think that they're probably in certain areas, certainly neurologically, there are probably areas where we are more advanced and have a better understanding of some injuries that need to be taken care of versus, say, 1998, 2000, right? And then the fourth, and this is the biggest one. And I know that people would probably correct me on this, okay? But you ask, like, I really do think about this. Man, I'll tell you what, crime is just unbelievable anymore. I never heard about this stuff when I was a kid. But when you were a kid, you didn't have a phone that was giving you an alert on Citizen app every time somebody was calling 911. 911. I'm not saying that – don't get me wrong. Don't misquote me, and I'm not being irresponsible here. I know that there are major issues in this city, major, major issues that need to be changed and addressed, and nobody is more aware or more concerned about it than I. I can promise you that. But what I'm saying is there are certain things that I don't know if they happen more than they did when we were kids, or it's just that now you have the ability to be aware of it. And I do think that with NFL injuries – 15 years ago, 20 years ago, did you really know on a week-to-week basis or care about the injury report of the Seattle Seahawks? Probably not. But now you know about it because it's tweeted out every day. Somebody's retweeting on your timeline. You're like, oh, did you see? The the Washington Commanders have four offensive linemen out. The Washington Commanders might well have had four offensive linemen out in 1991. You just didn't know about it because you didn't care about the Washington Commanders and you didn't subscribe to the Washington Post. 20 years ago,
2: the average NBA fan is learning about the Victor Lodipo trade in the Morning Star
1: correct they're not finding out about it five seconds i swear man trades are happening more than they used to well it's not that it's the fact that when they do every time they do you hear about it instantly i can get it on this magical rectangle in three seconds that's that's exactly right That's that's exactly right i mean it's there are a lot of good things about social media there's a lot of real dangerous things about them too you know what i mean yeah speaking of the nba we're going to do exactly that with alex golden next because the pacers played last night the regular season is on the horizon and we're going to find out exactly where they stand we'll do it next
2: Welcome back to Query and Company. Happy Tuesday to you. Pacers in preseason action last night. One of the very best to cover them. is our next guest. You know him on Setting the Pace podcast. He is Alex Golden. Nice to to take some time with us. Alex, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Jimmy. How are you doing? Alex, you got us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you loud and clear. Alright, sorry. No, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks, as always, for making the time for us. Let's Absolutely. Lo- let's look at where your observations are initially from preseason because Jake and I go back and forth with this. You talk about the value or undervalue of the NFL preseason. Sometimes the NBA preseason gets even further lost because of maybe the programming it's going up against or the, the visibility of it. Of course, you can catch a lot of it here on the fan, but from your standpoint through the preseason, where have been your observations so far, even though the Pacers Lineup has never fully been complete, although it was more complete than at any point in time in the preseason last night.
5: Yeah, I think last night was the first real small sample size that we got to see with Tyrese back in the fold. Him not playing in the first two preseason games, it was hard to have any real takeaways, specifically with the starting lineup. Now, I do think it was kind of interesting to see how the second unit had shake, uh, shaken out a little bit and how they've made some different changes to that, but. Overall, I think that we're going to see the Pacers continue to grow defensively. There's still a lot of work to be done there. But I feel like offensively, we know this team can really put the ball in the basket. And that's been the case through the first three preseason games. It's just been defense, rebounding, and then staying out of foul trouble.
2: Is it a rational or an irrational fear? When I look at you know the NBA, it feels like there's big gaps going into the second half, and then there's a huge close from the third quarter on. You mentioned the Pacers' defensive struggles and them still working on that. And I know it's preseason, so we can take it with a grain of salt, but the way the Hawks kind of gave a fight late, is that just that's life in the NBA, or is it still Yeah, there's stuff to clean up defensively as the regular season approaches?
5: I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, it is just life in the NBA that that happens. Teams make comebacks. But at the same time, Miles Turner fouled out last night in the third quarter with like seven minutes left. I mean, the Pacers didn't have their best unit out there for the majority of those minutes when the Hawks didn't make that comeback. And by getting up so big, having a huge second quarter outscoring the Hawks, 43-15, to 15, it's... And essentially, preseason basketball is meaningless basketball, right? So I think that for the players, mentally, they just weren't as, as locked in going into that second half where the Hawks really were playing with nothing to lose at that point, and they were the more desperate team. So I wouldn't read too much into that, but I do think that they did some, some, some things poorly, and I felt like when we saw some of the second and third unit guys come in there, we just kind of saw how much of a drop-off it is from the starting five.
1: Speaking of drop-offs, uh, Alex, how bad did your numbers drop off when I did the podcast with you the other day?
5: <laughs> no, actually, I thought it was a really good conversation, Jake. Don't uh, don't hang on yourself too much there, but it,
1: it did pretty well. Okay, well, I want to make sure there wasn't too big a drop-off. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if there's a drop-off. So, thank you for the charity there. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this, Alex. In terms of, I agree with you that preseason basketball is quote meaningless, except for that. I do think that it gives them opportunity, the Pacers, to, you know, toy a little bit with lineups, find out which guy, you know, who plays who plays well with each other. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, Because some Mm -hmm. guys do play better, you know, depending on who's on the floor with them. They play well off one another, etc. Give me a guy so far that it just seems like is still trying to kind of feel his way or, you know, amongst the new faces in particular. Which one so far has shown the steepest learning curve?
5: Yeah, I think there's a couple different names I can mention here, but I'm probably going to go Jairus Walker, and I know that it sounds kind of interesting to to say him out of all the new guys, but I feel like as a rookie, he had a pretty nice first game. He was not in the 10-man rotation to start out in that first game against Memphis but really came on strong in the second half. I think he finished with like 27 points. But the game against Houston and the game against Atlanta, he really struggled. So I think that there's just a bit of a learning curve there for him as a rookie and just trying to get his feet wet and figure things out. I think Miles Turner said it best last night when he talked about the game as just moving really fast for him. In terms of the new additions that have been in the league, I think that with uh, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, they didn't have great first starts. To, to start out uh, the first two preseason games. But with Tyrese last night back at home, it felt like there was a, a more chemistry that had been established through training camp. And it felt like those guys were connecting better than maybe I thought they would to start things off. So, yeah, it's a work in progress. But I, I still think that they're further ahead than how Jarris has connected just because I feel like Jarris is still trying to figure out where he belongs and how he can impact the game.
1: Alex, do you remember Andrew Nemhard's rookie year? We didn't know a lot about him. We knew that he was a mature player coming out of college. And as you watched him, you kind of figured out, you know what? This guy just kind of does whatever's asked of him. And, and there's not a lot of flash to it, but he's a, a nice, solid player where maybe there's no one area where he's above a seven, but he's not below a six in any area either, right? He's just good, solid player and very mm-hmm. composed. Is Ben Shepard going to be that kind of guy?
5: I think through the first three preseason games, you have to you have to lean yes with this. I, I still think it's too small of a sample size because they have been playing uh, some, some teams that have not been playing their full rosters. But you can't take away what Ben's done. And I think with this being such a deep roster at that two position, at that three position now, for him to crack the rotation and get in there and, and become part of that second unit, that says volumes about where he's at in terms of the pecking order for, for the coaching staff. He's proven that th- that he can do a lot of different things, and he just plays the game the right way. He has a great demeanor to him, pretty poised, doesn't get overwhelmed. Yeah, the game's still moving a little fast for him as well, but he just comes in there, knocks down shots, and I think that he, when he starts off hot, you just feel pretty good. I think he went 3 of 4 to start off last night against Atlanta, and that's just great confidence. Rick Carlisle compared his game uh, a little bit to Buddy Hill, which I thought was an interesting comparison, but He's just constantly moving without the basketball and, and constantly trying to find ways to impact the game. So, yeah, it looked like if you were looking at the roster going into the training camp, oh, this guy's not going to crack the rotation, similar to Nimhard last year. And now look at him, it's going to be hard to not put him in the rotation because
1: he's definitely earned those minutes. When you look at Shepard and what he brings to the table, and we'll stay on that focus for a second here, Alex Golden, um, is it the shooting ability or is it just kind of the, the tenacity and energy that he brings that then just vicariously it kind of lifts everybody else?
5: I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, Jake. I think that when you when you think about Ben Shepard, you think, oh, this is a guy that really shot the ball well. But it's not just a shooting. It's defensively, yeah, he's, he's still young and he's still figuring things out, but he, he's a little bit more disciplined on the defensive side of things than you would see out of most rookies. I think that he's continuing to showcase why he's in an important part of this team moving forward. I wasn't really sure what to think of him playing at Belmont, but at the same time he's got the biggest smile uh, of anybody on the team and he plays with that same energy. I think that he just has an infectious personality that it's really fun to cheer for him and if you saw him hit that first three in the uh, in the second quarter, I believe. Maybe it was the first quarter. The bench was going crazy for him, and I think that a lot of the players on the team just have grown to love him early on, and I think that's going to help with the type of energy that this team needs in terms of a personality like that.
2: Alex Golden joins us, host of Setting the Pace. You can subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Staying with Ben Shepard for a second. I know it's preseason, so the minutes are skewed a bit, but he gets 22 minutes last night. McConnell gets 20. No Andrew Nemhard. Where does the minutes cut arrive once Nemhard returns? Is it from Shepard? Is it from McConnell? Is it somewhere else? Or Where does that minutes distribution end up in your mind?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm I'm going to lean McConnell gets minutes cut only because I think Carlisle has emphasized a few different times that Nemhard is naturally a point guard and they wanted to get him back in that role, and that's particularly why he hasn't been mentioned as a starter, even though the starting five has not been solidified. Um, It feels like they want to see Andrew run the point guard a little bit more. He was so good in summer league, and Tyrese Halliburton said it several times, he was way too good to be in the summer league. He was too talented for that. But I think that Andrew is definitely more of a point guard than he is an off-ball guard, but he can play both. Now, I can see the Pacers cutting Shepard's minutes and giving it to McConnell just because he's a veteran. He's proven himself, and he's played really well in preseason, too. But if you're looking at trying to win and be impactful and long-term, I think it does make sense to let Nimhart run the point and let Ben kind of grow there. But at the same time, you have to factor in maybe Jairus Walker will eventually crack that rotation with the second unit as well, which means minutes are going to have to be edged out somewhere again. So I think it's just a tough job for Carlisle to figure out where he's going to give all these minutes to, but it could be matchup dependent and how they determine who plays what spot and who gets minutes that night. But until someone takes it away from him, I'm going to lean Shepard gets the, gets the nod the first couple of uh, games of the season
1: and see how that plays out. Alex, are you a married guy? I am a married guy. Okay, so Jimmy, you're a married guy, right? I am. Okay, so both of you guys, you know, at some point, uh, I'm assuming that your wife was like, you know, hey, we got to clean out the closet or you know, create some new space. Um, so you're going through your stuff and you're throwing stuff out. And then Alex, there's everybody has like that one pair of boots or like a winter coat that you haven't worn in like four years, but you're like, yeah, I'm not going to get rid of that because there's going to be a time when I need it. And 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 if I get rid of it, that's going to be when I need it and I can't find it or something around that house like that anything like that come to mind yeah
5: yeah no i I get
1: what you're saying okay so Uh, my question is this is that isaiah jackson Hmm. like they haven't necessarily needed him yet and they haven't really found like exactly when they're going to routinely and regularly wear him but yet you don't want to get rid of him because you're afraid that as soon as you do all of a sudden there's going to be something where you're like i knew i should have held on to that and that's what he feels like
2: Mm.
5: Yeah, that that's a good analogy. I think that Isaiah, we have to remember, he's only 21 years old. And and that's where it gets kind of tricky because, yeah, I think Jalen Smith definitely has outplayed him in the preseason and is more deserving of the backup center minutes. And I think Daniel Tice was a DNP coach's decision last night. So Isaiah still got the third-string minutes there. But at the same time, Isaiah playing with third-string players and guys that are more likely going to be playing in the G League or on two-way contracts – it doesn't give him a fair shake in terms of what he really can become if he's not playing with the guys that are going to be in the regular rotation. But they, they picked up that option for next year, too. So they have him all the way through the twenty five 24-25 season. So it does feel promising that he's still here for potentially a couple more years. But I agree with you. It, it seems like... If they do move off, you do have a little bit of nervousness about what he could become, but at the same time, they have to realize Tice has a team option next year and Jalen Smith has a player option. If both those guys leave, well, then you do need a backup center and
1: Isaiah Jackson could be that guy. Were you surprised, Alex Golden, and Alex Golden NBA, by the way, the Twitter handle for Alex, were you surprised that Daniel Tice, I thought last year when he was acquired, and I know he wasn't healthy, but... I thought maybe he was an enforcer-type, like the goon-type role, the muscle-type role. We talked about it with Chad Buchanan as well. And then once he didn't get on the floor a lot last year, I thought maybe that was a player that they were going to try to flip and that maybe he was just an asset that was brought in kind of as a throw-in. But it seems as though they do have plans for him yet. Would you agree with that statement, or do you think, in fact, he is still a guy that could be sent elsewhere?
5: Yeah, I would probably lean the ladder there just because it feels like if he was going to be a part of this rotation, he would get more consistent minutes with the backup unit, which he hasn't really gotten any. When Turner was out, he started. Um, he hasn't played in preseason game one or three. So I'm kind of curious how they how they feel about him. I do think that he still has a lot of good basketball left in him. He's probably one of these smarter players in terms of their veteran guys. He He's played a lot of good basketball, and I think they have a lot of respect for him. But they're still thinking long-term here, and I think they're thinking of how they want to play. And I just don't necessarily think Daniel Tice plays the same style that they want to play. Even though he could provide good minutes for him, I don't necessarily think that it's the right fit for him. So trying to find a home for him would make the most sense to me. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you like the insurance of having a guy that can really provide some meaningful minutes at the center position and someone you can trust, whereas Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, have not been as
1: consistent in their career. Uh, Alex Golden, by the way, on – x which i still say twitter by the way am i am i (laughs) the wrong by just saying twitter no just say twitter okay so on on twitter Twitter, alex your 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 background photo not your profile picture but your little background photo you're standing in the middle of the train track i hope there was not a train coming clearly there was not and and (laughs) nice mountains behind you and water and you're wearing a sweatshirt that says alaska now i'm not in no way shape or form have i ever been a detective but i can do deductive reasoning so i'm assuming that picture was taken in alaska correct
5: yeah, late August this year, I went to Alaska on a
1: family vacation. Okay, so did you do? Did you fly to Alaska? Did you do a cruise to Alaska? Did you do a long road trip to Alaska? Yeah, so
5: we flew to Alaska. We flew into Anchorage, and then we stayed in some Airbnbs while we were there. And then did a couple different tours. We did like a bus tour in Denali Park. We did a uh, we did a, a boat tour, like a, a cruise for like a, a day. It was like a six hour cruise where we got to see a lot of cool stuff out there. And then we did a train ride as well, so a lot of sightseeing stuff. And then we also uh, we hiked up to a mountain and took some pictures. And I think that
1: picture was actually on a drive to a city called Seward from Anchorage. So the, Oh, Seward, like as in the Folly. Now, yeah. the, the reason I ask, you've knocked off probably the one that I would say the fewest people have been to, uh, mm-hmm. that or North Dakota, maybe Hawaii. But I've been to all fifty and Alaska is the one place that I'll be honest, Alex, the entire time that I was in Alaska, not only was the New Hampshire's the only other state where I could smell the cleanliness, if that makes sense. Mm, you br- yeah. you breathe in and it's like you're it's literally like the entire state's like an Irish spring bar of soap. Um <laughs> But on top of that, it literally is the only place I've ever been to where I looked around and thought to myself, I can't believe I'm in the United States of America because it was that Hawaii would be the case, I guess. But Alaska was just different than anywhere else. And I thought it was absolutely the most pristinely gorgeous. Like, if you don't believe in a higher being, you go to Alaska and you're like, "Okay, somebody had to make this. It's unbelievable. I loved it.
5: Yeah, it left me breathless multiple times. I was just capturing everything I could on my phone and trying to enjoy it with not looking through a lens and kind of just seeing things with my eyes. And it's hard to really explain, and people kept asking me how great was the trip. It's like I can't even explain it, so you just have to go, honestly, to enjoy it. It was uh, late August, so that was kind of when their summer was ending. It was a little cool, but it wasn't too bad. A little bit rainy as well, but you just don't really care. It's just it's such a nice atmosphere. There's not a lot of people there. Traffic's not that bad. Just a little construction. It's basically, you take one road to get to mostly all your main places. So, I thought it, it did feel like a totally different experience than especially Indiana. But I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: I would love to go back. I I, I couldn't tell people enough to to make Great. sure they get out there. Totally before. agree. And yeah. You know the one That's thing right. I never saw in Alaska, and I'm being totally serious here and you don't realize it until you realize it and then you can't unrealize it okay i didn't see a single billboard yeah you're like, right I, I i didn't see those either <laughs> you know what i mean and then you're like oh my gosh yeah. like and that's when you realize it's just in an, you know how uninhabited it is so you have how many states left oh i have quite
5: a few i'm not a big traveler jake to be honest with you uh, florida texas alaska california China. i've never been to new york So I would like to go out east sometime here. I think me and my wife have talked about doing that. Uh, I've gone to Tennessee, I think. Uh, I top my head. That's about it. You got to go watch the Pacers in the Garden. That's your assignment. Okay, I'll try to do that this year or next year at some point. It's a lot of money. I've heard the Garden's expensive, but
1: (laughs) well, it is that all of New York's expensive. But New York, man, New York's the greatest city in the world, man. I mean, it's yeah, New York. There's there's nothing quite like New York, no question about it. Uh, What's up and coming on the podcast? Right now I think uh
5: our latest episode we just kinda recapped the last preseason game. We've got Keith Smith uh Key Smith coming on. He's a, a cap analyst over at uh, SpoTrack coming up in the next couple of days and he covers the league and then I also have started a blog this year. I've been doing it for the past couple of weeks. It's called the blue and golden dot dot com. So if anybody wants to check out written work there, that'd be uh that'd be awesome. I uh, was able to cover last night's preseason game for my first actual game as a media member, so that was a lot of fun as well.
2: Alex, always appreciate you making the time. Looking forward to reading more of the blog as well as following along with the podcast, and can't wait to talk to you as the season unfolds.
1: Absolutely. It's going to be a fun year, uh, fun year, guys, so I'll talk to you later. Appreciate it. Alex Golden, again, setting the pace is the podcast. Now, the, the big ticket item that I bought earlier, we introduced everybody to that in the 12 o'clock hour. Should we do that um, for Stephen Holder? and let Stephen Holder uh, see the new toy that we have, or do we wait until after that to let people know I
2: think it? we should shave it for Stephen, and the reason why is I did some digging, and I figured out the ramifications that benefited the Pacers post-Ola Depot trade. We talk about the ripple effects yep. for little wrinkles. I, I, I did the math. I followed the trees. And I want to share that with the
1: audience of
3: Remember, what happened. He is also a shareholder, so we need to keep him in the loop. so we that can That's, great. Okay. that's
1: a great point. But I don't want Stephen to know how much I spent on the English Elixir. Well, we right? don't
3: have to tell him that okay, part good. of it. You can we'll leave that out sure. of there. Isn't it like 60 sure.
1: days to disclose or something like that? So we're good, right? It's fine.
3: I, I, I can still send well, it back. We have no right. HR department either, so I think you're fine.
1: That is true. The CFO signed off. But Stephen Holder being a shareholder is really the yeah. real C- CFO. All right, so you got some Pacers um, backstory to get to. We'll do that next
2: So we talked a little earlier in the show about Victor Lodipo and the breaking news about him being dealt yet again, which makes you go back to the way things ended with the Pacers and then the trajectory of trades and how the ripple effects occur. So here's the ripple effects from Victor Lodipo. The Pacers traded him in a four-team deal when it was that Houston-Cleveland-Indiana-Brooklyn deal, and they wind up the biggest prize from that deal is Karis LeVert. They got a couple other like second-round picks, but Karis LeVert is the big deal there. They then entered a deal in 2022 with cleveland that got them a couple of assets including a 2022 first round pick that was top 14 protected you may remember the cavaliers did not convey that pick in 2022 so it was pushed to 2023 this past draft that became the 26th overall pick which they used to select ben shepherd Now, additionally, that's the main matinee thing, but the Ripple's not done because they also got the 32nd pick, a second-round pick from Cleveland. They traded that to Denver, who selected Jalen Pickett, and they got Denver's first-round pick next draft. So, Ben Shepard, and then next year's Nuggets' first-round pick, the ending ripple effects of the Old Depot
3: trade. And this all stems from Paul George.
1: Yeah, because it all started with George. Yeah, you're right. The family tree of drafts, right? Stephen Holder is next. (sighs) Thank <sighs> you. <sighs> This is a major and important issue to discuss with Stephen Holder today because, as we know, with Quarry & Company, Stephen Holder is the main shareholder. So, as a result, he does have say in some of the decisions, probably, certainly financial ones that take place within the company. He joins us now on the hotline, and we have a very important Jim Ursay interview to get to. But, Stephen, before we do that, and thank you for your time from ESPN.com, I need to run past you something that's a new development within the show and get your opinion on on it and you're okay okay is that fair
6: i mean as a as a shareholder this is of great importance to me whatever it is okay thank you so here's the
1: deal steven you're a married guy right Yes. And you know yes. that you, you have spent time with, with me and, and my girlfriend, Shannon, who I you've have. met. Matter of fact, I believe, I believe we have gone... The four of us have done things together. So we know that women have incredible intuition, right? Women are very smart, and you can't BS a woman, right? We both know this, right? This is true. Okay. So what I did is... it. it in terms of this radio show i went out and spent a great deal of money and this is a prototype something that i bought off the internet and it's called the english elixir this is a bs detector and what it does is i have bought this prototype that and i bought the, i spent a little extra i spent a little extra to get the female version of it because i figured that has a better bs detector than a guy and what this is is a fabulous new invention that i bought off the internet from out of country by the way it took a long time to get here and you you run a sound bite or a clip of an athlete or a coach talking into the English elixir, and it then interprets it and tells you the reality of what the person is really trying to say to you, okay? So, when it comes to the situation with Anthony Richardson, we have a clip of Shane Steichen, I want to run it through the English elixir, get the actual female BS interpretation of what is being said, and then match it to what Jim Irsay told you. As a result, what I'm doing is I want to judge whether or not I got my money's worth with the English elixir and whether or not this is a good investment that I made, okay?
6: Yeah. So like a business expense too, by the way. So I, there exactly, some, yeah, this might be a way to be written right. off. So
1: right. So here's what we're gonna do. So your job now, Stephen Holder, is to assess and evaluate whether or not this elixir is is properly interpreting a soundbite. Okay. Got and it. using your Jim Merce interview about Anthony Richardson as the barometer by which to grade the validity of the elixir's interpretation. So here is Shane Steichen talking about Anthony Richardson and the possibility of surgery and other things when it comes to Richard. Future. Here we go. It is a priority. Obviously, we want to do what's
2: best for him in uh, this organization. Um, you know, moving forward. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll make the decision uh, when the time's right. And when we're still evaluating that process.
1: Okay. Now, Stephen, we're going to put this through the English elixir. Eddie, go ahead and fire up the the computer here. Okay. It's interpreting. It's interpreting. Okay, it has the translation. And the translation, Stephen, is this. And then you can grade the, the the reality or the validity of the translation and whether or not I got my money's worth. Here we go.
3: Who are we kidding? Subluxations, nerve regenerations, snowboarding. Everyone has heard this crap before. He's done for the year. Bring on Uncle Rico.
1: Okay. Okay. Steven, you talk to the guy in charge, Jim Ursay. Tell us what you know and then grade for me whether or not I got my money's worth from the English elixir.
6: <laughs> I think your 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 English elixir is probably right for the most part. I just think that it's it's so good that it can see into the future. Because that <laughs> is going to be where this goes, except they aren't necessarily there yet. But they're about they're gonna get there. As far as I can tell, so I actually think it's almost too good because, again, it's it's foreseeing the future, which is amazing. Yeah, I it, think you. I think good investment. Good investment. Follow up
2: is: <laughs> Are these the type of dangers of AI they've been warning us about? Like, have we gone too far here? Do you think?
6: <laughs> it's a little scary. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's a little scary. Yeah. So, Stephen, yeah, take I us really through. Do... Go, Go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, yeah. So let me put it in context for you. I think everybody is to a great extent telling the truth. Uh, there are different ways of looking at all of this. So I know it, it kind of, when you try to digest it, it might be confusing, but here's what I would say. So that clip, that clip of Steichen, that was me asking him kind of, you know, is this being viewed in terms of the long-term future of Anthony Richardson versus like, can we get him back and play this year? Which no one should care about, okay, Like in the grand scheme. Like, it's great if that happens, but, like, no one should care about that. If that happens, that is, like, an absolute bonus in this whole thing, you know? So, what well, my question was asked with that context, like, is this about – is this being viewed in the, the bigger picture context, you know, and he, he affirmed that to be true. And then my conversation with Jim Mercy later, it was – Basically, kind of the same thing, you know. Kind of like, what have you learned through the Andrew Luck situation, for example? Which I, to this day, believe was not handled in a, and you know, with the long-term viewpoint in mind. And I'm not putting it on the organization specifically. I mean, Andrew was really the chief sticker in that, and he wanted to get back. He he had a partial tear in that labrum and. Week three in 2015, I just looked this up. He missed two games, which is crazy. Of course, he threw for 300 yards against the Patriots in his first game back. But the point is, they never fixed it. And then, so he had an injury that could have maybe be limited to one year affected him over parts of three seasons instead. So, anyway... That is the takeaway here. I have a bigger story about that whole Andrew Luck elephant in the room coming out, I think, probably tomorrow. So, anyway, that that was kind of the genesis of my conversation with, with uh, Jim Mercer.
1: Okay, so take me through that, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Uh, obviously, it was the headlines last night including on local news, I saw, you know, your story being credited. So I appreciate having you on today. Take me through the conversation with Jim Mersey about Anthony Richardson, um, the transparency, if you will, and how the conversation was initiated.
6: So, I mean, I had reached out to him because I wanted to get his, I wanted to get his context, you know, and when I bring the Andrew Luck angle into this, which is something I was doing. So I wanted. you know, he obviously lived through that and, and had thoughts about it and so forth. So that was kind of the genesis of our conversation. But, you know, we got into just, you know, where this is going. And the one thing I would say is that he emphasized a couple things. Number one, he did say the news was, his, in his opinion, that this thing is headed toward a season-ending injury, likely to have surgery. That decision coming within a week or so. We'll see. I do think that's that's. I'm talking to other people. Now, the distinction, and and this is something Jim Mercer said. The important distinction is that decision has not been made yet. Now, as I understand it from talking to other people, they are doing a daily consultation with with some of the top orthopedics in the country and not just their own doctors, the, not just the Colts own doctors. They're they're consulting with doctors in other parts of the country as well who are household names in that industry. Um, I'll box their names if I try to say them. So I won't, but anyhow, that is happening daily. They're talking to Chris Ballard. They're talking to Anthony Richardson's camp there. Everyone is in, in consultation with each other and and as the swelling subsides they can see a little more so that helps as well. so what that tells me is they're taking their time. That is a very good thing. Even if they think they know where it's gonna go, there's nothing wrong with taking your time and letting this letting the decision play out, you know, and, and getting the maximum amount of information to make a good decision. So that's what's happening right now, even though it does appear we know where this is headed.
2: Colts reporter for ESPN.com, Stephen Holder, is our guest. Stephen, you highlight this in your piece, and I think it's a critical portion of the piece, and I want to have you elaborate on it in regards to Anthony Richardson having a say in this. One of the quotes is, we're just trying to figure out exactly how and when and what we want to do and what Anthony wants to do. And you highlight that from, obviously, Jim Ursae, That's a key element to all of this. Is that a philosophical shift? What should be the takeaways from that, from fans in terms of how the organization is doing things? The fact that they are valuing greatly the opinion of their future star in this process.
6: It is good that they are valuing his, his say in it, but I also don't think it's a huge shift because one of the things that, that I think gets lost in these conversations and it's not anyone's fault. It just, it just never gets emphasized enough is that if a player, for example, is going to have surgery. Well, ultimately if you're going to put a knife on my shoulder, that's my decision, right? And, and if it's necessary, it's necessary. I mean, if you tear your ACL, You're not going to just kind of go out there and say, well, you know, I'll just rehab it. Well, that's, that's not how that works. (laughs) So you go get surgery, but if there is uh, some ambiguity and and there's maybe a choice to be made, we can either do surgery or we can do X, you know, sometimes that is the case. And this may be one of those instances. In those scenarios, the players say it, it has a lot of weight in the decision because ultimately only the player can decide whether they are okay with with undergoing surgery. So that's what he's getting at there. And that was true with Andrew Luck and it's true here. Uh, I think what what I think is important is what is everybody around the player saying and what and how are they arriving at at their decision and their opinions? And I think obviously players in many cases are are always going to say, okay, well, what can get me back on the field the fastest? And I get that. Of course, there's a lot of pressure on Anthony Richardson to get out there and be this franchise savior and all that. Right. I get that. But there's also like the tone around him is important. And if the tone around him and and every indication is that the tone of the people around him is like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, let's figure out what's the best for you in the long term. It's not about, and should not be a conversation about getting him back right now, and it, it is not that conversation, as far as I can tell. I think that's a very good thing. Now, I can't tell you the particulars of the conversation around Andrew Luck when when those decisions were made. I don't know what everyone else in the building was telling him. I don't know what the doctors were saying. Certainly there was, I'm sure all the evidence and all the options were presented. But I do think that you can emphasize to the player what is most important and that they will make their decision accordingly. And in here, in this particular case, it's being emphasized to him that 2023 is not what this is about. St-
1: Stephen, let me ask this question. If let, Let's just say for the sake of argument, that they announced next week that Anthony Richardson is out for the year. Right. And I think and I agree I think it's going to be because they know like I've like I've said on the air a thousand times already. If you have $10,000, you can either kind of spend it down, take care of what you need to, or you can invest it and then wait and a year from now it's worth $10,300, right? And you take the, the interest right. on it. And that that's kind of where they are. You know, there's a long-term gain here to be had that you can get by not sacrificing, you know, by not getting greedy. But if in fact Anthony Richardson is done for the year and Gardner Minshew is your guy, do the Colts continue does it reset the expectation from the ownership and general manager standpoint? Of, I mean, do they do they still go all in and do everything they can to try to to, to get into the playoffs and and you know whatever else, or are they do they themselves kind of temper their expectations of what that means?
6: Well, I think human nature means that you will probably temper your expectations some. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I from so talking to. From talking to, to Jim Mersey, I mean, <laughs> there was definitely a resignation that this is a blow. Like, that is, un, that is without question clear from my conversation. However, the other takeaway that I had was that while that's true, he also didn't say, well, that's that. <laughs> it's not what he said. I mean... He talked about. He even speculated on how many games it might take to win the division and, and things of that nature. And, and that kind of answers fact, that question, right? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. Now, whether whether we're talking about the expectation of challenging for the division, now that's maybe different. I'm not saying they expect to win the division or or compete for the division, but they certainly don't think it's out of the question. There's no doubt about it. And and I'll tell you, I've had some conversations before the season with Jim Say that he, now they were not explicit him saying this, but but there were, there were elements of those conversations that suggested to me that the expectations were low, okay, going into the season. And then I think they got going <laughs> and then it was kind of like, well, wait a minute, maybe we got something here. So, it's been kind of all. It's been kind of an, an emotional roller coaster. You know, you start the season with these minimal expectations. You get going, and now it's like, man, maybe we could do something this year. Then the quarterback gets hurt, and now you're trying to figure out, okay, well, where, who are we, and who are we, and that's where they are now. But but no, they haven't written this off. They won't tank. They won't do any of the sort. Uh, you know, if it changes and they go on a losing streak, well, then maybe let's talk in, in a month. But but for right now, no, that, I don't see that being the case.
2: How much does it complicate the transactions or decisions on players that they're going to have to make this offseason? Most notably, Michael Pittman Jr., knowing that, and Jake brought this up earlier, you got a small sample size with how they play off each other, how how they work together. How much does that impact the decisions they're going to have to make this offseason, knowing they have a very small sample size of work from Richardson and other personnel to build off of?
6: Yeah, you mentioned Pittman. I mean, he is suspect number 1 when you talk about guys who are impacted by by this the, the quarterback issues generally. I mean, I I posted this on Twitter yesterday. I think that was his uh Pittman. That was his sixth 100-yard game of his career on Sunday. In those six 100-yard performances, He's had four different quarterbacks. <laughs> and I think in total, he's had seven or eight different starting quarterbacks in his four seasons, not even a full four. Is it three, three and a half seasons now, you know? So that's wild. <laughs> okay, it's pretty wild. So, Yes, it complicates those kinds of things. I do think with Pittman, I think they know. You you either, by now, you're either in or you're out. I I don't really think there's a lot more you can learn. Really, it boils down to the money and and where that falls, and if you're okay with it, and that will be decided later. I don't know what that looks like now. I don't think the Colts know what that looks like right now. But – but in terms of whether you want the player or not like that that decision should be clear by now like there's to me at least I don't think there's any doubt you know what he is and the question is only what he can be with a more consistent quarterback situation but what he is is pretty good whether he can be more is is still an open question and and maybe he can realize that with some quarterback consistency so i think what it does is it, it just kind of this year was really about in general, not just about any one player. I think in general, this team was this this season was about assessment and and to see number one, what is Anthony Richardson and what can he be? Can he be the guy? I think we know he can be the guy. That is clear and then beyond that. You know they wanted to see what else this roster was. That's why they didn't make many moves this past off season. They were really evaluating this team and, and trying to figure out where they were coming or going. And, and I think they got some good early returns, but but definitely losing the quarterback it it impacts your ability to evaluate who you are as a team, and that's where it really hurts. And it, it is a setback from an evaluation standpoint.
1: Yeah, I just think Stephen, we talked about this earlier. I, you know. There are so many players that this has implication on because, for example, again, I'm going to speak in hypothetical, but, but I think pretty accurate hypothetical that Richardson, let's say that he is done for the year, okay? So next year he comes back. That is essentially his rookie year, part duh, okay? So he goes through that rookie year, then year three, which is now you know really year 2 is when he's for the first time seeing defenses that have schemed for him that have a year on tape on him where he's seeing different looks etc. I mean you know the process. Don't you have to then there are just so many players that the timelines get kind of thrown into whack right i mean ryan kelly is ryan kelly going to be your center in three years it is is Pittman? do you sign Pittman to a big deal not with the front-loaded money taylor for that matter jonathan taylor is going to be coming off of the front-loaded money after that year two the timelines i just think this has bigger monkey wrench implications than one would
6: expect am i am i too cynical here No, that's true. That's, that's the NFL. I mean, you know, what a generation for an NFL team is like four years. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like people forget that sometimes because as a fan, you know, you've been a fan for just like anybody, just fan X. If you've been a fan for 10 years, you know, they all kind of are linked for you, but really on a, on a micro scale, And from a micro standpoint, I mean, that's what it is. It's like three or four year rolling periods where your team almost turns over entirely. The only time that's not true is when you have like a a Mahomes type quarterback and and he ties it all together for 15 years or something, you know, or Aaron Rodgers with the with the Packers. So like for, you know, there's like four there's like three generations of Packers teams. And he is the link to all of them. <laughs> but but those teams changed almost entirely because that's what happened. So, now, look at this roster. You know, guys like Ryan Kelly, you hit it on the head. You know, his contract's going to be coming up. Uh, even a guy like Quentin Nelson, I mean, he's had some injuries over the years. He's playing great this year. But I'm just saying, you know, two, three years from now, those players are now into the, the latter stages of their careers. Uh, a guy like DeForest Buckner is still in his prime. Will he be in his prime in three years? Maybe not. I don't know. You know. So it, it is a very challenging thing, and I think people have to look at it in in that respect. And, and the the Colts in particular are an interesting team when you look at them through this prism because they have all this youth. They have so many young guys like Juju Brents who are just kind of wet behind the ears, and then the other half of their team is like, is <laughs> like, all right, well, the clock's ticking for me. And so, it's a really interesting dynamic, and you're right. I mean, Anthony Richardson is the one guy who can maybe tie it all together, and so he is now losing potentially an entire rookie season, and, and that hurts.
1: You know, Stephen, a lot of people would look at the schedule, and and naturally, you know, you start looking at it, and you're finding wins, right? It's, it's like being a Miami football fan or a Clemson fan at this point. It's been a disappointment, <laughs> but you're looking at wins. You're going, okay, so can we get one here, get one there? Colts fans are probably looking at the schedule. And initially, you're thinking like, okay, well, they bounce back from a disappointment in Jacksonville. They get a win because they go, you know, they got Cleveland next. Dude, that defense is no joke. I mean, this is a legitimate challenge for them on Sunday, is it not?
6: The Cleveland Browns defense is on pace. I'm not saying they're going to keep this up, but they are on pace statistically to be one of the best defenses in like 40 years. Man, it is insane. Insane. I believe they have allowed the third fewest points through six weeks than any team since 1970. I wasn't born in 1970. I won't ask if you were. I wasn't. I was not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like this is insane. We're not talking about ah, oh, you know, they got some guys. That, no, 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 no. This is this is historic stuff. You know, I, I was telling this to. I believe I was t- telling J&B this yesterday. You've got. You know, a Jacksonville team that up front, they have some some guys that you know about. You know, you know the Josh Allens and and Tavon Walkers and what have you. But and th- with Cleveland, they have that. And then to boot, they have this secondary that is elite too. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's up front. It's on the back end. Like, they have nothing but playmakers all across that defense. and And the Colts – the the only the only guy they've seen on Miles Garrett level so far really is Aaron damned the game a couple of weeks ago. So like that's what you're getting this week, plus all the other stars on this defense. So no, it's going to be really tough. And and Deshaun Watson might be back this week. You remember they they did what they did on Sunday against the 49ers. And that's shoulder also, watch?
1: right? I'm sorry. sorry, I missed you. Yeah, the Deshaun Watson's injury is also a shoulder, correct?
6: Shoulder injury, yes. Okay. So, so that's why it's it's been something where they've taken their time with it. Uh, as I just from the reports that I read, you know, the, he wasn't able, to, you know, has not been able to throw without pain in that shoulder, and that's going to impact how you're able to operate as a quarterback. But. There's some optimism that he could be back this week, so I, I don't believe—at least they don't believe—that uh, it's something where he could, um, you know, worsen the injury by playing. It might just come down to whether he can function properly.
2: This past weekend was one of Gardner Minshew's worst games of his career. Obviously, turning the, the ball over as much as he did, throwing three picks. Uh, there was a piece on Colts.com by JJ Stankovitz highlighting, you know, all the like, just the numbers on his career and how. Interceptions have not been a big deal as you followed this team. And again, Stephen Holder is our guest. You get his work on ESPN.com. As you followed his career and knowing what the Colts are going to need from him over the next couple of weeks, not just from wins and losses, but from overall roster development, is that an anomaly game or should you be concerned, especially with how well Cleveland's played defensively, that this might not just be a blip?
6: Well, I would say this for Gardner. He's not been a high interception player in his career. Um, he, he has had, in fact, I'm looking at it now, his, his rookie season, he had a career high, six interceptions. That's pretty good. That's, you know, in you're talking about 12 starts that is on the, on the low end, I think, you know, in terms of interception, interception percentage, you know, he's, he's generally been, you know, between 1% and 1.5%. I mean, that, that's very acceptable. So he's, he's definitely off to a, I mean, I don't know that he's ever had a, a game with multiple interceptions, even, you know, so it was, it was an anomaly, I think from a turnover perspective, certainly. Now, when you get Gardner Minshew down a bunch of points, though, you're going to have these situations because now you are asking him to do things that he is not necessarily equipped to do. You know, while he did throw for a lot of yards in that game and, and the Colts, from a statistical perspective, generated a, a lot of production. You know, it, it did take, first of all, it took 55 passes to do it. So that's not very efficient, number one. Number two, you also have the situation where, you know, he, he's his success really will come if the Colts can have balance. And you can have some play-action opportunities where you can kind of, you know, get him in some optimum matchups, get the receivers in optimum matchups, and maybe draw them in with the, draw the defense in with the, the play-action. They didn't really have any of that this week because the, the running game, just, it, had, it wasn't producing anything. So, anyhow, I just think the situation for Gardner Minshew has to be ideal. And that was the most unideal scenario you can even imagine, for Gardner Minshew. So they've got to play their kind of game uh, in order to to make him effective. Now, if the the Colts can limit Cleveland offensively, at least it becomes a more manageable game in terms of the score. and, And maybe you can you know, pick your spots a little more, but I don't know. It's still going to be tough. I think it'll be an interesting game though, just to see how they match up against that really tough defense. Finally,
1: Stephen, give us a glimpse, a little preview, if you will, on the column that you have upcoming, you were talking about in relation to Andrew Luck and how it might tie into today.
6: Yeah. I just think that there is an absolute, um, fair is the wrong word, but, hyper-awareness. Let's put it that way. There was a hyper-awareness in that organization to not let a repeat situation happen. And and that's happening without assigning blame or any of that because it doesn't even matter how it happened or, or whose fault it was, I should say. How it happened matters. Whose fault it was doesn't matter. The point is, there were some decisions made that, that ultimately did not work out in Andrew Luck's best interest when it came to to how to deal with that shoulder injury. So they are hell-bent not letting that happen again. Number one, no one wants to go through what happened there. Number two, they see the, the promise in Anthony Richardson. That's the thing. I mean... I will tell you, I know from the outside looking in, maybe in other markets there might be some questions about Anthony Richardson, and that's fine. I mean, we've only seen a little bit of him, right? But I will tell you, right here and right now, this is their guy. They love him. They believe in him. They think he can do anything. They think he can take them and make them a contender. They're convinced. Doesn't mean that they they aren't wrong, but in their mind, Anthony Richardson is the guy, so they are going to move heaven and earth to get this right and I think it's a great thing if you're a Colts fan even though it sucks right now because he's a fun guy to watch
1: actually Stephen, let me ask you one more thing everything that we've read everything we've heard everything we've seen is that in fact for sure everything you just said he is the guy and there is no doubt that yeah. he's the guy so the question then becomes this um has anthony richardson shown to you and maybe there's no way to know this so far he's answered every bell from the psychological mental intellectual standpoint but do you believe that he is the kind of player how much can it alter a player's psyche to go through what potentially he's about to go through and that is sitting arm in a sling watching and having to wait on your body
6: Oh, it, it has affected him. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I, actually, I actually heard some, some in- just, you know, how it's, it's really weighed on him. It really, really has weighed on him. Uh, this is a guy who, who really takes his role uh, seriously. You know, it, it, he understands. He might be young, but he is mature beyond his years. And he understands, you know, his importance to this franchise, you know, what it means to be a top 10 pick, he he gets it. He really, really gets it. And as I understand it, you know, that Sunday night after the injury happened, you know, when the gravity hit him, uh, he got really emotional from what I understand. And it, it was hard. It was hard. But I do think the good thing is that he is uh, – he does have a maturity about him that I think will allow him to work – And battle and come back from this. And, you know, in in a weird way, he could be even hungrier when this is over with and and really wanted even more. So that's that's the hope. And uh, and that's the kind of makeup I think that he has.
1: Stephen, appreciate the time. I'm glad, by the way, to know as a shareholder of the company that the English Elixir appears to be I did not get ripped. I bought it yeah, kind of off market. It took a long time to get here. Long shipping. It was very expensive. Very expensive. So, um, so far, you are saying it, we're one for one with it. The interpretations appear to be relatively accurate, and it's probably good that I bought the female version because it has better intuition,
6: Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a board member, you know, I, I think that being prudent with the funds <laughs> is very important. So, yeah. By the way, is Clemson Miami this weekend? Oh my God, I should know this. Um, I feel like no, but I but don't I, quote me on that. Hold on, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but the season ended when Mario wouldn't take a knee. So as far as I'm concerned, yes, I'm, <laughs> it is. By the way,
1: Clemson Miami's this yes. weekend, right? Yep. It's yep. It, where is it? Is it in Coral Gables? Yeah, it's in Miami. Yes, Stephen. Are we putting a wager on the a friendly wager on this? I, yeah, we
6: probably should. Uh, yeah, let's. I tell you what. Text me after the show. Let's figure
1: this out. It's got to be. I mean, it's going to be minimal, right? Because I don't think either <laughs> one of us is overly confident
6: here. Right? No one has confidence. Yeah, right. <laughs> we we are we are the, the same team. We are basically the same. Yeah, team. you're right. No, you're right about that.
1: All right, I'll figure out the wager. and I'll let you know. All right, see you guys. All right, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Usually, when I when it comes to game wagers with friends, the way I've always done it is loser buys the winner a T-shirt of the school. But usually, it's bowl okay. game, like sure. like bowl games, right? Sure. This one we probably don't even do because I I don't think either one of us is confident our team's going to win. Like Clemson Notre Dame, the Clemson's not going to win when Notre Dame comes to clemson i don't think but in the past i've done for a bowl game if my if clemson is playing a a, a team of a somebody i'm friends with then i call him up and i go hey here's the deal the loser has to buy the winner go online and buy the winning t-shirt of the bowl game you know whatever orange bowl champions whatever sure i did that actually once with mcafee when west virginia played clemson and he's like, Yeah, okay, cool, let's do it. And West Virginia dropped seventy on him. Seventy. <laughs> I bought the T shirt. It sucked. You know? I was like, Good lord. But I mean, trust me, the, the twenty bucks I paid was a far less penalty than watching your team give up seventy. It's brutal.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: A uh, reminder, by the way, I believe it's Brian that's in Thursday and Friday, correct? Indeed. Okay. Um, would you guys like anything from New York or the Baltimore area? I mean, I'll never say no to anything Yankees-related,
2: so you can put that on your list, I guess. But I know that might pain you to purchase something <laughs> tied to that franchise.
1: The only problem with going to New York and bringing back something for the Yankees is you can get Yankee stuff anywhere. Look, and my wife would probably quickly text you and say, I don't need any more Yankee stuff,
2: so it's probably a bad idea on all fronts. But yes, you are correct. You can just go to Yankees.com and find yourself a nice hat. How many times have you been to Yankee Stadium? Just once went for the first time new or old new didn't get a chance to go to old um but went to new with one of my best friends and also a diehard yankee fan shout out nick koontz we took a bro trip in 2021 saw three games there in the bronx it was great it was awesome like to go
1: back someday you been a yankee i have not that's a pretty cool place for sure um The road trip I'm taking, we're starting in Long Island, and then I think we're going to spend half a day in Manhattan, and then dip down. We're going to go to I think we're going to try to go Saturday to Air uh, Air Force versus Navy in Annapolis. You mentioned that. You were debating between two things. There there just aren't It's not a great slate of college games on the East Coast. I remember what what you were
2: debating now. I apologize. I don't mean to bring up bad memories. You were talking about if Cute Fellow was still hanging around, that maybe that would be the play.
1: For sure. That would have definitely been the case, right? Yeah. But cute fella that got swept right out of there. Speaking of which, last night, Major League Baseball, Bryce Harper um, and Kyle Schwarber with big home runs to get the Phillies off and running. I, You know, Bryce Harper to me is interesting, Jimmy, because... And I don't know if it's that I've become more tolerant because of the norm or if Bryce Harper himself I've just grown to appreciate because he is a great player... Um, But when Bryce Harper was first hitting the scene, I will admit to being an old guy that was yelling at clouds. I thought he was a little bit boorish. I thought, and I'm talking about when he was like in high school. His parents like pulled him out of high school and sent him to prep or like homeschooled him for baseball. I mean, basically they made no bones about the fact that that the decisions that were being made were for baseball purposes. And at the time, I remember thinking like, this is everything that's wrong with like youth sports. But now I look at it and I go, you know what, though? I, they were correct. I mean, he is—he was clearly a baseball prodigy. And for every Bryce Harper, there are probably 100 that don't pan out. But he did. And he was that talented. And, you know, to be honest with you, as a player, I mean, he's hes a little bit flashy and whatever. Else. You know, he's a guy that, that gives you reason, I guess, from the exterior to not like him except for that. I, he seems like a good teammate and he plays hard and he is a hell of a player man
2: you mentioned earlier in the show about pacers that not play the right way but represent the city that they're in the right Correct. way bryce harper has has been that i know that what happened with the nationals is what it is but for a time with the nationals and then now with the phillies bryce harper is that he embodies you know, the city
1: that he's in i agree with that and you know, to be honest with you, he's. The, the, I remember even when he signed his contract with Philly, it seemed underpaid. I mean, at the time, I'm like, really? That's. All? I mean, I thought for sure I'm like, this guy's going to get you know, forty million a year. And I mean, he's making a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but relatively speaking, he is seemingly kind of underpaid because yeah. he's, a, he's a great player. Um, I
2: can't remember if it was that off season or the following off season. And I'm obviously reading the transaction page on MLB.com, but. He got dwarfed by Mike Trout. Trout signed that 12-year, $430 million contract extension after Harper had signed 13-330. So, $90 million in an extra year kind of dwarfs the parade a bit.
1: Which one would you rather
2: have? It's hard, isn't it? I think Mike Trout is an amazing player. He is, there's no doubt. And he's probably going to... Not forgotten, but like it, it'll take a minute to think about him because of the franchise he plays for, Well, Harper, is
1: When Harper first got to Philly, it, it took him a while to kind of get going, didn't it? A little bit. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that the, both of them are dwarfed by the impact of Shohei Itani. I, you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, if you had the money to spend, that's the guy that you spent it on. But he's coming off injury now, too. So, what? Ha- you know, who knows what happened? Trout won't have to worry about being dwarfed for much longer. You know, one thing about this World Series, there's one thing that's going to happen in this year's World Series that we're going to be lacking. I've mentioned it before. But there's one thing. I, I do love the World Series. And there's one thing for certain, for certain, that is going to be missing in this year's World Series. Well, I take that back. I take it back. I shouldn't say for certain. It may still be relevant for, for like three of the games. But there's one thing that is taken away already, and then I wonder if it's not going to be taken from us even more. And it kind of makes me sad because I'm rooted in nostalgia, and there's something about the World Series that makes me extremely nostalgic. And we'll get your picks, and I'll tell you what that is next. The Jay Cook.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
0: Plays of the Day.
4: This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's
2: Plays of the Day, all focused on the NLCS. Eddie, I'm diving into the waters. Can't wait for your reaction.
3: What waters are we diving into, Jimmy? We are
2: diving into a runs first inning bet. Give (sighs) me over half a run in the first inning tonight of game two of the NLCS ultimately though i think the phillies are too much and they take a 2-0 series lead i'll take them on the money line this evening eddie do you have anything
3: you know ironically i was going with the no runs first Ooh, inning here. nerfy all right see what happened yesterday i got gotcha. you uh i didn't think yordan would play as well as he did but he did come out and
2: nathan Avaldi was a stud last night yeah
3: he tried yordan tried to will the astros to victory but i'm going with a no runs first inning Ooh, okay
2: another battle bet
3: i like it yeah
1: Here's a bet you guys could make. Okay. If the World Series, and I don't think this is going to be the case, but if the World Series is the Arizona Diamondbacks and Texas Rangers, will it be the lowest rated television series of the last 20 years?
2: Wasn't there a large concern for when it was Rangers Giants, or not Rangers Giants, Royals Giants? I need to go back and look at those numbers, but I remember the talking heads, even though San Francisco was in it, were worried about the fact, which I I never care, I'll watch anyway, but that's the last time I remember this being a big conversation, so I I would need to go look at those numbers to answer
1: your question. The the irony being, if it's Arizona and Texas, it's two of the top 15 television markets in the country. Correct. So that helps. I mean, DFW is probably five... Phoenix, I'm going to guess is 14 15. You
2: sub out one of those teams for either Houston or Philadelphia. It's not a conversation, but if it's that matchup, and I know we're I down mean, to four, but yeah, I, I think would,
1: even Houston, Philly, though the numbers are. I mean, Philly will do some numbers because it's a big market. Houston's a, a massive television market. But There's still
2: cachet around the Astros thing. Like, I know I got mocked last week or two weeks. ago. I, I think it, within, but like,
1: within baseball, there might be. I sure. don't think. I, I think. I don't think it transcends. I would agree with that. I mean, the problem is Major League Baseball is becoming a niche sport. Quite frankly. I know that sounds ridiculous, but...
2: And I'll go back and look at it, but they did have better numbers this year than last, I think, in part due to the rule changes, and they well, were marketing the heck out of that so, the speed of the game.
1: So what I was going to say is the one thing that I think would hurt the World Series. And I've mentioned this before, and it still exists if Philly's in it. But part of the World Series, the fall classic, right? It's yeah. the end... You have transitioned now... The boys of summer, only a handful of teams have made it to the fall classic, right? Sure. And with the fall comes, and it's really an odd thing. I mean, obviously it's not. It's scientific. (laughs) But in October, all of a sudden, the sky does get kind of darker, and the clouds, like, wisp away, and, like, everything's kind of eerie outside, right? Like, you're driving around, and you're like, gosh, it's kind of dark and eerie out, and, like, this Halloween tone that comes in. And and, in baseball... Part of the magic of the World Series is for all year long, when you see fans, except for like in the, the first three weeks of the year, but in the boys of summer, you watch a Cubs game, you watch a Reds game, whatever. it's people in the stands and they're wearing cutoff jeans and they're wearing tank tops and they're drinking beer and, you know, whatever else because it's summertime and so few franchises get the privilege of ever knowing what it's like to stand there in the crowd like like Steve Bartman. What was Bartman wearing? He's wearing a hoodie, right? Yeah. With his little Krako headsets on, headphones on, sure. right? Sure, But he's wearing a hoodie with his jacket over it because it's cold. It's Chicago. It's October. Part of the magic, part of the drama, part of the mystique, part of the, the tension in the air of the World Series is it's a full count. Runners on the corners. Eighth inning. Team down one. And Joe Buck's voice, or whoever, is talking about just the drama, and then they they lay out, as we call it in broadcasting terms, and they let this, the the ambient sound of the crowd overtake you, and they pan the crowd, and you can hear everybody going crazy, and you're wondering to yourself, like who? The, there's more pressure on the batter or the pitcher? I don't know, but they they span the crowd and when they do they show these people that have on a hoodie and like there's always a woman that's like freezing and she's like (laughs) and she's all bundled up and you don't know if she's sitting that way because she's freezing or because of the tension of the moment and that's part of the magic of it the chill in the air is the magic of the world series the magic of the fall classic is that first chill and if it's arizona and texas you're never going to get it and on top of that there's a pitch count so, you don't get like the long standing battle between the. And I get that the pitch count but in 99% of cases is a good thing. But I just think that drama of like the feel of it being October goes away if they're playing it in a park where there's like people in a swimming pool in left field. You know what I mean? Le- least watched World
2: Series. We'll just go by average viewers. Uh, the top five have all happened post 2000. Uh, the leader, which I wouldn't have guessed this. Dodgers raised the pandemic year average about nine and a half well, that was
1: when they were playing for I understand right? but, yeah.
2: but but this is just from a viewership standpoint 2021 which was Braves Astros 11 million viewers a tie basically with last year Astros Phillies 2012 was Giants Tigers that was about 12 and a half million viewers for the whole series and then at the bottom of the table fifth least would have been two thousand eight. Phillies ray. So the Phillies on there a couple of times. Yeah. Well for least viewed, yes. But the yeah. Astros in there as well.
1: Yeah. The Astros, I'm telling you, like the the cachet's gone. Uh and V's walked in. He is wearing a Boston T shirt. Now did did have you ever noticed the Boston one of the album covers? It's actually a guitar. It is upside yeah. down. That's yeah. what this
0: is right here. Yeah.
1: Have you ever the, seen the, initial- the um have you ever seen the album cover for um Love
0: at First Sting had Side Boob on Super remember tri- that? Scorpions, yeah. yeah. Uh, Supertramp. It was almost like it was kind of soft core in really? 1984. Yeah, <laughs> you excited <laughs> by that, weren't
1: you? <laughs> I was um, the Supertramp album cover. You know the. I hate to say this, but the the 911 connotation. Uh huh. Yeah, it's yeah. Wild, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Bre- Breakfast in America. Breakfast in America is one of the most underrated it albums. Is awesome album well think about it for a moment super tramp is
0: probably one of the most underrated bands totally when you think about it because you love everything they do and you go hey wait a minute and they've kind of it's interesting because they have songs that are four plus minutes that are way too long and then they have songs that are two and a half that are kind of just right what's your favorite song from super tramp uh, the logical song, probably is it really? Yeah, so I'd
1: go with "Goodbye Stranger." When I was young. Ooh, that's good. "Goodbye Stranger's pretty good. Though. It is solid, yeah. isn't it? Um, okay, how about this? Boston, if I'm not mistaken, highest selling debut album of all time that's been eclipsed twice. Now, who knows in today yeah. when, like downloads and all that, but in the in the album era, what what two albums eclipsed Boston? I um, think
0: it was Broken twice. I always thought it was Dark Side of the Mood that had that. That was previous. Is that a Boston? debut
1: album though? I'm, uh, oh no oh, debut oh album. the
0: highest rated debut highest album. selling i'm like sorry debut album. i thought you
1: said just album in general um i'll give you the years okay uh one of the albums was released in 87 but really took off in sales in 88 okay uh joshua tree it's a debut album no, no. i'm sorry
0: debut what am i thinking about here it's debut my favorite album. band of all time
1: who's, who's seen- that Seen him 13 times, I think. Guns and oh, Rose. Guns N' Roses it's Appetite. So for Appetite. And then yeah. Appetite was beaten, I believe, by Cracked Rear View. Really? From Hootie and
0: the Blowfish. Somewhere, Chris is really happy about that. Christian <laughs> loves Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, I know. Loves him. He's gone and so, he's like a groupie, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he goes to see what's his name all the time. Jimmy, your favorite Super Tramp song?
2: Why, why do let's not ruin the end of our show and ruin that's the start a, of John's yeah, show by bringing Jimmy. me into this conversation? Let's no, you're an underrated man, they like, are, heck right
1: I, there. Listen, forgot in all honesty, in your defense, Jimmy, that's what's fascinating about Supertramp is they were what year would you say was their 79 to 82, 79, right? Yeah, I mean, massive, and then after that, I, I fell off a cliff, right? I think they had It's Raining Again, was like their last hit, was is that a good it, song early 80s, I think. Now, what year was um. Same era same sound as as Triumph right Yeah but but m- magic sir- power <laughs> Shannon, her favorite Shannon song. Shannon loves
0: magic <laughs> See, power. Does well, you know. Believe you me, she loves the magic power, <laughs> she John. Knew. You know she what I mean? knew. I mean, come on. When right. I play that on a Saturday night, I get a video <laughs>
1: instantaneously out of it. Not not that type of video, but
0: uh,
1: <laughs> a video okay. of her singing. Yes. So we do do that on the the J and takeover yeah. more often than not. When we're driving around, uh, Shannon will sing along <laughs> with one of the songs you're playing, and I'll send you a video of it. Uh, and then she never knows the words. Uh, what do you got going on today for the show uh,
0: we got the guy from pff we got uh i think
1: joel's coming on from the star yeah, the guy from pff i think last time you said a nerd from there
0: so Spe- yeah i call him all nerd that's why i'm not i'm running on the fifth one i think now so <laughs> they get wind of it they get about they get about one year in they go okay that's enough of that so i'm on the fifth one from pff okay. greg's gonna be here too because high school football playoff mm-hmm. starts yep. for everybody but i think 6a right Besides
3: yeah.
0: 5 and 6A. What's that? 5 uh, and 6A? Five, 5 and 6A. Man, 5A is really. Blew me to north, everybody. 5A this year, not bad. But
1: Greg Rakestraw, too. Okay. Uh, that all gets underway just a couple of minutes. As a matter of fact, John takes over. So, everybody, thanks for listening. We will be back at it at noon tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Aquarian Company.